0: Oh uh, uh. Suino Welcome to the Kingless
1: Generation, a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo-parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal Schmudlock. And just the other day, I had another chat with the host of the Return of the Repressed podcast, Marcus. And this podcast, if you haven't heard it, just, I mean, turn off my fucking podcast. Go listen to that right now. It's one of the best podcasts I've ever heard, so I was delighted to have this chat with Marcus, and I'm delighted to share it with you. That opening song it was uh, from a no play about Shi Wangmu, who is the Queen Mother of the West, a mother goddess in Chinese religion and uh, mythology, maybe particularly Taoism. Although sacrifices to her are recorded. On turtle plastrons and other oracle bones from the 15th century BCE. So that predates Taoism. And so then this Japanese no play is about taking a magical draught of herbal medicine and meeting this otherworldly mother goddess who lives maybe in a palace with an all-female retinue on Mount Kunlun, which is a mythical mountain somewhere to the west. And she has a magical peach garden, where if you eat the peaches, you'll become immortal maybe. Maybe you've heard of that. She is also known as uh, Wusheng Laomu, uh, the birthless, ageless old mother. She is known as an absolute principle of reality or creational origin of all things. She's known also as the golden mother of the jade pond. Her palace is a cosmic pole or pillar where communications between deities and humans becomes possible. And one of her symbols is the Big Dipper in the night sky. So I've actually went and translated this aria or part of this no play into English. So here we go. On the feast of winding water, the first day of the snake in the third lunar month, block the flow with your hand and watch the water wind round. And isn't this cup making even the flowers tipsy? Isn't this cup making even the flowers tipsy? The sleeves and fringed hems of lovely maidens that sport and play in the waters of the great river flow out to the side like clouds off a mountaintop. And as the flowers and the birds of the clouds become one with the winds of spring, we are transported to the cloud road, and on it we climb up and up, accompanied by the queen mother herself. Shall we rise on the road of heaven, accompanied by the queen mother herself, and away we go? On beyond to places we don't know. So here's Marcus. Oh, there
2: he is. Hello, hello. How we doing? All right.
1: Not too bad. Can't complain. Yeah. Nice one. What did you have for lunch? Uh, I had sushi. I had different sushi than usual. I usually have a bowl okay. like kaisendom, but uh hmm. I realized I left my wallet at home. This morning. So you have to go cheaper. So I had no, well, it was more expensive. I actually had to buy something that I could buy with my phone. I had no ah, cash. Okay, okay. Yeah. I see. I, yeah. So There's I like cash something. over here. It's hard. Yeah. Well, which is, you know, probably ultimately uh, pretty good. No. I'm, but <clears throat> yeah, no. <laughs> In any case, uh, the experience of having no currency was Mm. uh instructive or something you could yeah you could hang something on that i bet
2: Mm. i try to like you know it's maybe a bit counterintuitive you know that Mm. you hold on to your money better when it's cash because when you have everything digital you see you know all the money you spent but at the same time i don't know i feel like i used to hold you know I used to hold on to money better when I only used cash. Mm-hmm. It's too easy, like with the credit card. You know, then you you can always say, oh, "I'll have a little bit more." Whereas if you have cash, mm-hmm. it's like oh, I need to count first. And yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's
1: tricky. Oh. So, what are we? I'm I'm here to interview you. I I suppose it's it's almost I guess like so. I've been the the thing that I've been reading uh, that's Dharma related these days is the Record of Linji. Right? Right. Um, mm. ab- About, uh, more than by, it's like about uh, Linji Yishuan. But mm. uh, in that, there's all this stuff about guest and host, which is a distinction okay. that they're trying to draw between sort of when, I mean, the whole point of all this Zen literature is that all language, all arguments that people have are ultimately just like mm. uh, uh, Amazonian golden birds, Kind of skipping right. around on the branches yeah. and and uh, shaking their uh, plumage yeah, at each other.
2: London, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, what, what is Rinzai's like most famous quote? Right, like that he thinks sums up the whole Sen uh, uh, canon. When he, I did, I pulled that one recently. Somebody, it was I met a professor from uh, Hiroshima University, I think, uh, mm-hmm. of political science. Uh, So he spoke, you know, quite good English and we met, uh, I had a seminar about, uh, yeah, natural farming and uh, he was there for some reason. And then afterwards there was like a dinner. So I sat down with him, must have been, yeah, maybe right before we left, I think. So it was in the early December. And uh, so he asked me like, oh, so what's, you know, what's so interesting about Zen, you know, like, why do you uh, start, uh, you know, to... Uh, or Buddhism in general, like what's it about? You know, like that classical question. Oh, there's your I chance. Just, I, I... <laughs> and then you know, like I did the rinsai. He does like you know, it's a bit like playing this game with, with two closed fists, 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 and uh, you know, the child wants to know like what's in the in the fist, you know. But you actually you don't have anything there, and so they show you know that there's nothing there, <laughs> and then yeah. yeah, that's like a classical rinsai. Thing I mean, it's kind of like you know, honest. Like I mean, a cult leader would definitely uh, uh, reproduce the illusion of being you know what Lacan called les sujet savoir, right? Like the subject mm-hmm. supposed to know. Whereas uh, Rinzai is just like. I actually have nothing to offer, but you know, if you want to play this game, <laughs> we, we can do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which uh, I mean, I mean, as a class analysis, also it's kind of intriguing, you know, like how do you manage yeah. to like you know have an institution that isn't actually that productive, like in terms of you know feudal economy. Uh, I mean, they all, all, many we've talked about that before. Many of them had like accounting positions and you know various administrative. You know positions within the feudal order, and so I guess in that sense they did provide. But you know the the uh, I don't know the temple um, you know community and a monastic you know uh, community as such doesn't really produce. I mean it's supposed to be self sufficient and sort of like especially in China you know sort of withdraw from from the official uh, apparatus. And so, you know, what, then you have to, you know, you, you gotta fool somebody, right? At some point, some, you know, minister or some, you know, local lord or even maybe the emperor, which I guess is the case with uh, the founder of Zen, right? Uh, Bodhidharma, when he, when he's interviewed by, I guess this is a legend, right? Like most of the things are like, you know, stuff of legend when it comes to him. And uh, if he even existed, like, uh, the emperor says something, you know, like, "Oh, I will donate so and so much, you know, to so and so many temples, and you know, I'll build new temples." Could you give me like an estimate of like how much karma, I, uh good karma, I would receive from doing, you know, all this good work for for Buddhism? And for the dharma is just like, you'll you'll get nothing, <laughs> and then it's like, uh-huh. "Uh huh." Why why is that, you know? And then you know he goes on to explain, mm. you know, that that's not the point, right? Like that's not what uh uh, you know, I guess in, in a sense like Buddhism is like that's one of the really heterodox points, right? I mean, when yeah. I was in Malaysia, I remember talking to a lot of Hindus like and devote Hindus and they'll be, you know, like it's very like Catholic, like in the way that it there's an admin, you know, uh, a cataloging or, you know, an accounting to the practice mm-hmm. of being, you know, a religious person, like so so many Hail Marys, right? Is what you are Prescribed when when you yeah
1: um, say three Hail Marys you, uh, and call me call, in the morning,
2: right? Yeah, right. And so there is like you know an amount, and there's a you know somebody's keeping track, you know, somebody's keeping account. Whereas, uh, and you know, and those Hindus in Malaysia, they would always be like that. You know, they would say that will give you good karma, like whatever it was that you know to distinguish, you know, you know the platonic good and good, right? Like as in good, it's beneficial and good as it feels good to you, you know, like it feels good, uh pleasant yes. to the senses, I guess. And they would, you know, they would base the distinction of those two Platonic goods by being like, this one will give you karma, you know. But that sort of ruins it, you know, because then even if it's beneficial, you're just doing it for your spiritual development, right? Like that's a very standard mm. critique of like, you know, egoism, right? Like well, people who want to be edgy say that even, you know, at Christmas they feel it, which maybe they do it, you know, like people just giving gifts to Mm -hmm. just to feel like, you know, that they are doing something good. But yeah, I mean, in that sense, the Buddha, like Siddhartha was, you know, that project in the early uh, era was like, you know, heterodox on the point that, you know, that's not really, I can't remember which sutra it is, but there is one sutra where the Buddha says that, you know, this was just a Cinderella story I told you uh, about karma and it actually doesn't exist, you know, like there is no um, accumulation of, of merits. Uh, mm. And then the, all the Bodhisattvas, uh, you know, raise uh, up in, in joy to, to this uh, um, exclamation. But I guess, you know, yeah. if that's some kind of end point, maybe it's all about like, how do you get to that point And, you know, how do you not get mm. to that point in the wrong way? Uh, well, you because... always have
1: to get there again, I think, right? Because if if you do say, "Oh, Zen is better than Pure Land, where people are worshiping yeah. gods and stuff, and worshiping Buddhas and using other power," uh, then mm-hmm. you are yourself. Now you've set up another idol, actually, mm-hmm. and you're not you're not on the path. Yeah. Then uh, yeah. there's a lot no, about production sure. in the in the record of Linji too. They talk about growing pine forests. You're always growing oh, really? pine forests, yeah. Which right now, with all the pollen in the air, do you do you get the pollen sickness?
2: Uh, I do have it, but I don't think I get it very much here. I'm not quite sure what oh. it is that I'm uh, allergic to, and it comes and goes. And I really have to tell oh. you, like during my like you know most extreme wandering times, where I was like you know I wasn't in the cities for maybe three mm. years straight. And I was eating, you know, only things at the farms uh, or I was Mm -hmm. baking food and and, you know, so I ate, you know, predominantly. I mean, it's almost impossible to eat organic food when you live in the city because it's so expensive and you are bound to end up going out eating somewhere because it's more convenient and you don't know what you're getting. And also, like, even if it says organic, you can't really be sure, like, you know what it is. But, Mm. you know, when you when you get if you have like if somebody ever has that opportunity. Of, like, only eating in the farms. And I'm guessing this is the correlation, but I didn't have like any pollen allergy at uh, that time.
1: I wouldn't be surprised. And,
2: uh, yeah.
1: I too had nothing at first and I was deep in the mountains, although all the other Japanese people around me had lots of symptoms. And now, mm-hmm. after living here so many years, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, I just started to have it barely. And this year, mm-hmm. everyone in Tokyo says it's, it's, just beyond terrible intense. when anyone has experienced. Yeah. Okay. It feels like having yeah. an intense head cold like every day. So Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh,
2: that's rough. I remember, so I, I You know, like I, the... I long
1: for the pine forests planted by Linji or, or Rinzai, yeah. right? We should say for the listeners, yeah. uh, the Japanese pronunciation of that name is Rinzai. Uh, mm. The Chinese pronunciation is Linji. This is yet another opportunity to be a nerd and, uh, Uh, maybe a diluted clinger uh, if you want. But uh, similarly, the the word Zen, right? I mean, Mm. actually, this is a school that originates in China and the Chinese pronunciation in modern Chinese would be Chan. But um, Mm. everybody knows Zen. So that's what people still say in English.
2: Yeah, they do. And like, what does the character for Chan again? It's like, it's got the spirit on the left side, Mm. right? Uh, Yeah. Like um the, the primitive that is also in spirit uh yeah maybe it or means whatever. yeah right and it's ultimately an altar, an altar that's right and mm-hmm. uh and it has something to do with lightning as well right like it's an altar of lightning i think uh oh, okay. or no maybe that's in that in the character of a god you get the mm-hmm. whole thing you get uh, the altar and then god seems to be something with lightning which makes sense I because see. like yeah seems that Yahweh was probably some kind of storm god, or as Freud has said, a volcano god. And so I'm sure, you know, these natural forces oh. are, you know, they must have been influential at, in the beginning. And of course, Vairayana, yeah, know. Uh-huh. The, you know, the symbol for Vairayana, that's a thunderbolt, right? And uh, yeah, I even okay. think there's a cool connection.
1: Indeed. You have um, Shamash and maybe Apsu, Sham- the, mm-hmm. god, the sun god and the storm god. Yeah. too and so maybe that yeah could be related i don't know um yeah. immediately the phoenicians the, the... as well oh okay yeah cool
2: the ball that becomes the devil supposedly later was meant to be a storm god and that's i think i mean oh. i drew the connection that that has something to do with the phoenicians conquering the storm god by being such good you know mm-hmm. travelers on the ocean and so oh, they yeah. seem to have uh yeah, I think maybe that's it, right? That Baal, the god mm-hmm. of the Phoenicians, was a god that conquered the storm god or something. Um
0: mm-hmm. so
2: so yeah, I mean yeah the uh... and by Rihanna, like we like for sure, it's lightning, like and that mm-hmm. you have that too in the sudden versus like if we go back to you know, where is Chan then, like where do we find you know the tradition of Chan? It's a kind of um a school that uh um uh, tries to put forward like a critique to us, to you know, a stagnation in the development of Buddhism in, in, in China that has become too sophisticated and too philosophical. Mm. And you have this kind of uh, the northern and the southern schools or the mountain. And the, the, I can't really remember. The, there are many different names for these uh, for the for the uh, to me of the two traditions that start to develop or the two branches. And but generally, it's like a sudden school versus uh, a gradual school, and so the gradual uh-huh. I think both are important. I think there should be a dialectics yeah. uh, dialectic between both. I'm sure you would agree' Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's considering the amount of books in the background <laughs> of your picture. <laughs> like yeah, yeah you can't yeah. get away from from it and uh, I mean, I have a good like you know an explanation for it in my mind, but um for sure the the sudden would be very kind of you know that sounds like the most sudden thing there is should be lightning right that sounds like a pretty good mm. metaphor and so oh sure look, you know, yeah yeah if,
1: no if you're looking that for that then... metaphor hmm. mm-hmm. i think the words themselves every word is like a god like Kukai would say right <laughs> uh, who, yeah? who himself is is very catholic he gives birth anyway to a very catholic system but would say that right? every and... graph contains a cosmos in it and Uh, Mm. and that's true of chan as well because i think they probably chose the one with the religious radical on it uh but it also is a phonetic transcription of sanskrit dhyana which just means meditation Mm. right um yeah and it has this this other life there um Mm -hmm. i love how yeah so i long for the pine forest of linji it'd be great i bet the pollen would be more balanced uh, that yeah, we I, have I here so. in Japan. For yeah. listeners, you may not know that all the uh, forests in Japan were logged in the during modernization and replanted with things that were only useful for logging, right? And so you mm-hmm. get this very unbalanced pollen profile, yeah. uh, which makes everybody sick once every year.
0: Yeah. And I didn't. And also, you I can...
1: caught this sickness by living here many years. It's it's wonderful to.
2: Yeah. I hope I don't get it. <laughs> I, I'm really... Me too. There's, well, you're more Nagano, in, you know, a little, little more bit,
1: proper countryside.
2: Yeah, a little bit more, uh, I wouldn't say like Ur-Skog, like Ur-Forest, maybe, but, you know, slightly older. It's not as intense over here as it is, yeah. for example, in Komagane seemed very intense when I went, you know, over there. Uh, Kumano, mm. uh, sorry, uh, not Komagane. Um, along yeah, the coast, largely where I used talk, to be. Of course, it's going to be more intense. Um, Uh,
1: You Once in a while, you'll see old forest and you can kind of tell because it's not mm -hmm. monocultural.
2: Yeah. And I also, I remember reading Masanobu Fukuoka, which isn't completely unrelated to, you know, what we're talking about, because that's often been like, you know, described as the kind of zen of uh, permaculture, right? Or zen of natural farming. Uh I mean he 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 does have like a few points here and there but like he's a bit you know there's a bit of mishmash in his spirituality you know he borrows things from from Taoism from Christianity uh but he does say at one point you know that I feel forced to talk about my farming in Mahayana terms you know he feels that is the best way to to really describe like the dialectics of uh, you know like the the phenomenology de nature or whatever like mm-hmm. uh, um then uh Yeah, well, he says at one point, you know, because of that logging, uh, you know, and the replanting of so, you know, large swaths of forest, of course, there also came a lot of like, you know, nematodes and like particular, you know, uh, pathogens in the microbial world that, you know, just had a ball on, on, you know, having the same kind of food that they like everywhere Mm -hmm. and uh, no, you know, what happens it's not that you don't not only that do you only give one kind of food for one kind of pathogen if there was another pathogen that could balance you know them out it doesn't have its food and so you're gonna have like Mm -hmm. you know a monoculture of uh, a certain nematode as well and that nematode then you can see it sometimes you drive around and all of a sudden there's like a you know, like a square, like it looks like a bug in the capitalist system. You see a square in the forest where it looks like it's been, you know, a fire has taken place, but it's actually, you know, uh, uh, an accounting unit of trees uh, that somebody has planted there that just didn't survive. You know, that was a species that was too vulnerable to this nematode and it looks so unnatural, you know, And but it's uh, a good indication, I guess. Most people don't think about it, uh, surely, but uh, but when you see it, you wow. can't really unsee it. You know, it looks really drastic. Like it's so mm-hmm. perfect lines. You know, and you wonder how can a fire have done that? You know, like <laughs> why are right. they all without like leaves, and why are all the why are they all so gray and in a perfect mm-hmm. square of trees? You know, makes oh, no wow. sense. So there
1: was just one thing planted in there by a particular owner of that as a
2: plot, yeah. right? Yeah, I
1: guess Which that's now most died likely what happened. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just now reading through 1491 and getting all this great detail about like food forests among yeah. Iroquois and Algonquians, right? And the achievements yeah, feel, uh, that people have actually made.
2: Right, I mean, the, we don't see it, I think because it's such large, you know, it's more domestication. I saw some uh, anthropologist use this term and I thought it was quite good. He said, uh, you know, they, rather than domesticating plants and domesticating animals these uh, people uh, domesticated entire landscapes and you mm-hmm. know the kind of like planned economy that has to go into that is so much you know it's such more on the you know on the long game like it's a it's a it's not the uh, intensive immediate you know quarterly profit that we think of when we think of planning an economy today or even five year plans, maybe. Like it would be yeah, much yeah. longer. And 5, you know how, year how... Plans. yeah, maybe. Yeah. And uh how how you know much of like uh I mean for Quokka, he says that every single desert is a man-made desert. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but like I can imagine that there's something to it because I mean in in, in Egypt and like Northern Africa, like maybe the Sahara has something to do with like you know, one of the first Early agricultural grain states over there, right? And when you mm. think about like maybe the Gubei Desert and you know those central plains of Central Asia, for sure, like you know the grazing of like the 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 uh, cattle of the Huns and Attila and you know um, mm. and the uh, uh, Mongols, uh, I'm right. sure they left a pretty good mark, you know, like on on their landscape. Considering that, like, what, what is it said, you know, that. Uh, Genghis Khan killed so many Chinese peasants that the temperature of the earth dropped, right? I heard something like that. It's uh, insane. Yeah, like okay. the, <laughs> be. Because, I mean, their mind was like, you know, it's such an interesting like war, you know, that any other war, like, why would you kill off like millions of peasants? But it was like, that wasn't even part of their mode of production, you know? Like, they didn't know what use a peasant is. This land should be for our horses, like they, yeah. they're just fucking up the land by cultivating it. And uh, so we have no yeah, need and for they that, are. no economical and then,
1: need. If we're being yeah. honest, aren't they though? Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. So it's Jing is Khan, like Camarouche combination of uh, restructuring be, the yeah, is, situation.
1: Yeah. Perhaps there would be better means to do that, but you know, we can, I, yeah. can, I can fuck yeah. with it a yeah. little bit the in this in the zen literature i love this metaphor of like the guest and the host you know this is another these Mm. provisional certainly provisional valuations because Mm. uh at the end of the day you know it's all they say things like someone asked linji what do you do at your monastery nothing Mm. uh do you meditate no do you pray no (laughs) what do you do uh we become buddhas That's it yeah so, uh, <laughs> in a conversation like that, it all becomes about who can put put in the better turning verse, a turning word, or a capping. Mm-hmm. Right? Like how can you yeah. top what the the paradox mm-hmm. that someone that, else has said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And in, in that's very in typical of, of Sam, little... I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the literature anyway, you know, I mean, like mm-hmm. the actual practice yeah. of, well, the practice of living in a monastery also involves this ritual of koan or gong an, where you read this literature and you have to like solve mm-hmm. the puzzle. Why was that a cool response? You have to like explain it. Yeah. That you yeah. get the joke. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so but that's a That's also a ritual. typical of
2: Rinzai, right? Like Rinzai was really yeah. big on the koan.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. Exactly.
1: Um, And, and within that game, right within that game, someone who gets it is the host and someone who doesn't get it is the guest. And so they have this, they have this thing. So and he, he has different typologies, like when this happens and then this happens, you have a guest questioning a guest. When this happens and this mm. happens, it's a host questions the guest. You could have the guest question the host. Um, mm. But wouldn't it be a great name for this episode? A host questions a host because we're both uh, hosts yeah. of our respect that, that uh, that, Yeah,
2: that seems fair. Then See we don't have I to. There? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> I think yeah. so. <laughs> we'll see if I can maintain my mandate of hosting and, you know, throughout the show.
1: <laughs> so my host, uh, I would I would like to ask you a little bit uh, more about yourself. I think last time as well, we kind uh, of plunged into discussing whatever and, and that was yeah, fascinating was a, as always. Uh, but uh, maybe this time we could get a bit more into yourself, your story, your project. Where do you come sure. from and what are you doing?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, like if I was going to start, like at the beginning, like of my. First, fasc- maybe, you know, like what initially was like a fascination, maybe uh, about East Asia in general. So when I was in high school, uh, the first year of high school, when I was 15, I felt I had made like, you know, we- when you move to high school, I'm sure it's the same in most places. Uh, Well, at least it was for me because I was from a smaller village, so there was no high school over there was one high school that I would go to later, but I was a boarding high school and I didn't like that. And so I went with my friends that were in other classes in junior high. And so I wanted to, you know, go where they went and I, you know, we became friends because we were like computer nerds. Right. And so we would land together, whereas in my class, everybody was like hockey guys and so i was quite alone like the, the you know the single nerd in that class as so who had to like did good on you know tests and stuff but and i was a bit clever than some of those guys you know so uh could you know maybe one up them sometimes like i have one trick one time that i did like one guy was often like punching me and stuff and then one time by the lockers i just put like a coin next to his locker on the on the ground and then i waited like around the corner And then when I heard him coming and seeing the coin and he bends over to pick it up, I just come around the corner and I push him forward into his locker when he he was bending over for the coin. But he didn't like that. (laughs) He didn't like to be outsmarted like that. So, yeah. Uh, But, um, so I was like, I I didn't, I mean, I didn't like junior high and I didn't like high school either. So I went to, you know, uh, I went to like the... uh, student counselor in high school and i asked you know where is the furthest away that you can go and uh, she said yeah maybe australia geographically but if you go if you want to go culturally far away you should go to china and we have like one Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. exchange program thing that you can go there for a year and then i was like okay awesome like i want to do that and uh and i started prepare for that and Mm -hmm. later i realized i think that Already back in like fifth or fourth grade, I was like in a Montessori class. And so it was a little bit special, it was a lot of like quite experimental, like different experiments, I think, than like Waldorf. I prefer Montessori to Waldorf. But I remember we had uh, some uh, some people who had, you know, some, some uh, we often had like university students come to us in fifth and fourth grade telling us about like, you know, what were they studying at university so that we could already be sort of like, you know, uh, I mean epistemophilia, right? Like love for knowledge, like kind of. Yeah. Why oh, would you want? Like you know. Idea. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I I thought so too because uh, I realized later that we had had some guests who were studying Chinese, and they had they were really good at like making characters seems interesting because that was the first time mm-hmm. time that I was exposed to like you know how a character was made and you know the primitives we already mentioned a bit you know uh, about mm-hmm. the Chang character for example they did you know the more normal ones like how like you know how how yeah. is uh the mother with a child right and uh and uh and some are more pictographic like you know shoe uh or ben it's like looks like a tree mm-hmm. which other ones oh yeah and then they did yeah. the one for dream uh and uh-huh. i and i still remember that one and that one i you know i i've changed it up like you know it's mm-hmm. always been with me and then of course it was also you know, I, I loved it when I started to read Freud that he, I found out that he was really into bot, bot, botany before he was into uh-huh. psychoanalysis and yeah. how he, you know, well, we all know about cocaine, like that particular botany. But, uh, you know, he has also this uh, in the interpretation of dreams. You know, there is this uh, quite a few references like from Freud's early childhood when he's tearing up the leaves of, uh, of a book. He's trying to the one dream that he talks about throughout that that book, you know, has a lot of botanic reference, and uh, and I think it's a it's a book on Persia that his father gave to him, and I can't really remember where the dream eventually goes, but I just remember this part that there's like some reference about tearing up the leaves of a book, mm. and uh, somebody made an analysis that all the points that Freud makes in the, his own analysis of that dream. There is one signifier that like becomes a chain throughout them, and it's something about you know it's a botanical signifier. Yeah, so, it does
1: have uh, grass radical at the top, doesn't it? The dream. That
2: yeah. So so if I was to explain then the 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 character for dream that you know sort of became my fascination then uh, when I came to China the first time uh, was that it has as you say it has grass or flower on the top, and then it has uh, an eye put on, you know, um, it, that, that one can be put horizontal yeah, no, or I, vertical. on the side,
1: yeah. the horizontal yeah. version. But
2: actually, that makes that makes the most sense. It's not on the side. It's on the on the right side, right? Because the spaces between the uh, pupil and um, it is uh, it's the oh Yeah, on they the probably sides,
1: turned right? it originally to make it stand up yeah. tall. Right. Yeah, yeah, I
2: think so. Yeah. And then underneath that, it's uh, it's a half covered moon which means evening, you know, because oh, okay, if there's sure. clouds in the night time, it covers the moon. And, and so if you were to read it out oh, then oh. poetically, it becomes the yeah. flowers for the eye, not the eyes, but the eye, the, the mind's eye, uh, during the night or during the evening. And so oh, right. each, you know, what so gross. in a way, psychoanalysis is being a botanic, but botanist for the flowers of the dream, so the dreams are different flowers that you have to look at how they are made, you know, and, and then you can learn a lot of like, you know, special words, uh, you know, to to describe a, a flower to somebody who also likes talking about flowers, you know, like there's so many words for every single little part, you know, most people only maybe know leaf and, and stem and, and you know, I, d- I know them better in Swedish, obviously, I, I'm not so good in <laughs> in English. But I tried uh, to learn a little bit more of those words because, of course, it opens up a new way to think about things when you when you uh, learn more, you know, words to mm-hmm. describe something so minute as as a particular part of a flower.
1: And what the sort of uh, for a fungi and uh, insect uh, biomes produce which sort of uh, thought flowers right. in an unconscious yeah. mind?
2: Exactly. What's the rise right? to of the of the unconscious? Yeah, that's a good question. This would be, be the
1: task then of psychoanalysis under that reading.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, and I and I thought it was so beautiful that I thought that when I was coming to China, I was going to be faced with a population who were all poets, basically. I was like, "Well, they all <laughs> yeah, yeah. talk and read in characters, yeah, yeah. and so you know, and they all they should all be like that, you know." Like, I was <laughs> right. a bit worried, like, like, uh, is there actually any communication whatsoever, or I, or it's everybody mm. sort of guessing what the other people are saying? And then, of course, they just communicate I slowly their read... hive
1: mind. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah shing, I've seen some benshing. like, uh, I've seen some, you know self-hating weeps uh, uh, and like xenophiles um, who are like you know what do they they like to say something like uh, uh, the structural integrity of the east asian you know language is m- much more uh, fr- fragile or like you know that you know they mm. want to say that they don't communicate and you know which is wrong because of course yeah. you can <laughs> communicate you know like the, the chinese invented the atom bomb on their own with characters so I'm sure there's like, there's enough precise communication in the character. Yeah, uh, once
1: you've uh, lived, I I think I finally got over being a weeb mainly just by having children, you know, and like registering Mm -hmm. Japanese children, wiping their butts. You know, I've wiped the arse on uh, (laughs) Japanese people of even higher ages than that, for Christ's sake. So, yeah and then you realize you know oh yeah people like they don't understand each other sometimes i mean it's just like fucking anywhere right um mm-hmm. although there is something to the rebus principle right which gives birth to uh these logographic scripts and it is mm-hmm. a different thing yeah. to it's mm-hmm. the rebus principle though and it's always a game you're switching between the appearance and the uh, the pronunciation in this language, the pronunciation in this language, in Japan it is that. There's always mm-hmm. the, the Chinese, you know, you have yeah. the Sino-Japanese reading and the Japonic reading of, right. of each graph. Uh, either it's meaning or it's, yeah, so. That appears in
2: Rinzai as well. I, I'm sure that the koans, when you study them strictly in, in uh, you know, written in characters, I try to read the Shobo sometimes in Chinese characters and, uh, you know, I can get stuck on a sentence for for a month, you know, just going around thinking about what does that mean? You know, like, because if you take, let's say, the Rebus Principle and, you know, sometimes you wonder, you know, how pictographically should I be thinking, you know, about the situation, uh, about these characters and how much is it a phonetical play on something that sounds the same? You know, like, you know, the Mm. classic Saunima, for example, which is, it's a llama, right? Yeah, so it's like a llama that's hmm. called Tsau Nima, and it means jump over the grass, I think. Uh, oh, in Chinese. That, all, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, would mean. Uh, yeah. But it, but it also means fuck your mother, right? You fuck so, your mother, yeah. And, in Chinese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like I, you know, there are so many like jokes or you know like mm-hmm. uh, things like that where where you know character you know, then people, you know, just make their uh, emoji for for the llama and you know that that's like, you know, someone's flicking you off. Or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe just a character that appears in, 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 in the word for, uh, in the name of uh, this animal. And you can have a lot of fun, you know, with it. And like, that seems to be to me, like a lot what the, uh, you know, the Zen tradition, that, that seems to what, you know, what you were saying earlier, like, you know, with one-upping each other, mm-hmm. it's like to make the best, you know, play on words somehow. And like, of course, that's present in Lacan, too. And,
1: you know, uh... it's cool that it can go the other way with like Kukai, for example. I I had a lot of fun with his discourses on the Sanskrit alphabet, the Sanskrit letters, Mm -hmm. because for him, it's like, uh, you know, there are some people in India who say that these characters only record sound and there's no deeper significance to them. But these people are incorrect. Uh in mm-hmm. fact, each of these sounds it, it's part of the constituent parts of the universe. You make the sound, you you know, uh maybe you do mudras that that correspond to the different mm-hmm. graphs. Uh you look at particular deities, you burn offerings to particular deities associated with each of the letters, and it vibrates the fabric of the universe in different ways and Brahman. And, is moved and so on. Uh so it's he's totally fetishizing uh a phonetic alphabet in the same way that uh those yep. of us of the phonetic alphabet world often fetishize uh logographic scripts. So it's fun. Yeah.
2: Yeah and then we have the Arabs to thank for like things like algebra as well, you know, where the words, you know, they've become like mathematical as well. The dead letter is so all of a sudden, you know, oh, informed yeah, with g- g- mathematical yeah,
0: as well
2: yeah no that that is uh, the hebrew word right gemetria yeah
1: i only know the hebrew yeah. word i don't know the no it's geometry. Arabic, right but yeah well giving you know giving each letter a numerical value yeah and therefore yeah yeah you can do uh
2: this i i just read actually uh engels text on uh, the the book of revelation for my next episode and so i was like literally just going through through that stuff i don't i don't know of this where is that yeah oh you have never read engels on the book of
1: revelation that's the best one like yeah yeah Yeah, i'll I'll send it to you later yeah please do
2: yeah i mean it's not a very long text but it's great like uh, engels is like a real like you know noided mystic in this one yeah, and he's like, right. and he like you know goes through the six hundred and sixty six and stuff, and you know, and it's like the best oh, stuff nice. there is. <laughs> oh, so right
0: yeah, up, I did man. a little.
2: Yeah, I I, I I did a reading of this uh, uh, at the intro for my next episode, and uh, yeah, I mean, but uh, uh, I I'll, I can go on about that, but let's
1: leave that one for a while, and maybe I should yeah. uh, uh,
2: keep telling the sto- well, we story kind of
1: kind of we were gonna do sort of dharma related. Stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like you, as a yeah. as a dharma practitioner. Uh, what would you? I don't know. As a Buddhist, yeah, yeah I, I, I,
2: I don't know. Like is. at some time, you, you're supposed as to give up the, but yeah, you know, something like that, right? Like yeah. a person, like a real, real, trying to become a real as person. I, would, I guess you is. would want to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why should and um, yeah? Why? Why would you? <laughs> it seems uh, silly. It seems like uh, I don't know. Maybe there is a bit of bravery as well in that. I guess you know. Uh, Badieu often talks about how like anxiety is the opposite of, of bravery or courage, right? And so why would you choose, shoot for something less, you know, then you would, that would be the the very thing that puts, you know, another stick in the wheel, right? Of the dharmic wheel. Yeah. Like that would Feel, cause some... Fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's like like the the sound that uh, the wheel makes on like an uneven ground is that is oh, there's where the comes from. Yeah. Really, yeah. And uh, of course, I wasn't becoming like what's it called like you know whatever we think. Uh, I wasn't an arahat when I came to China the first time, and uh, uh, what did I you know? At that time, I was first like in the language school and. Uh, Uh, And I had to go back, you know, like I had my first girlfriend and everything over there. And so there was like, really, I became an adult, at least, even if I didn't become a Buddha, I became an adult, like, lost my virginity, got drunk in a bar, had my first uh, girlfriend, fell in love, you know, all, all these things. Like, it was a real, like, coming of age period. And it was beautiful, like, because there were so many people there from, like, all over the world. And, you know, crazy thing to, like, you know, for a Swede to be finding comfort in, like, you know, the commonality of a, of a Mexican person, like, you know, at the age of 15 or 16, you know, like, I wouldn't have ever thought about, you know, that, oh, it feels good to talk to somebody from Mexico, because it makes me feel a bit more at home. Like, that's such a, mm-hmm. you know, that sounds counterintuitive. But in China, in such a strange place as China, that makes sense, somehow, and I felt that it made sense. and uh, And so... I was very sad when I had to come back and I had to go to this, you know, the boarding school that was in my town, which we will talk, you know, you and me on, on our next episode about. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, edit. Uh,
1: mm.
2: Yeah. Indeed. And uh, because I went to the same school as a lot of like those aristocrats that appear in the story of, of uh, uh, this mm. uh, person that we're investigating. And uh, especially the mother, right? Or that family, mm. the Tolle who and the Trolle mm. Wachtmeister connection. But yeah, Seattle. again, that's for another thing. But <laughs> yeah, it was the opposite of Seattle to go to this school anyway. It was like terrible. Mm. And, uh, you know, but it really strengthened like my uh, class hatred. And so that's, I think, around that time is when I started mm. to become, a, you know, at least a Marxist, maybe not like a communist yet. But uh, I started to, and I, and I very vividly remember defending Marx in a philosophical, you know, we had two or three classes uh in philosophy class about Marx, you know because you have to and uh it was great like i didn't you know i didn't plan for that and surely nobody else planned for that but i was defending Marx against the rest of the class and yeah. it was you know that you know really like set me apart i think but it also made mm. you you know gave me a certain respect like that you know the people were i mean they're taught to be afraid of people like me and you know and then to you know be faced with the fact that you're in the same class and you know we went to like you know we had a kind of binding you know exercises we would go wandering for example we had one week when we were wandering in the north of sweden and we have no phones and you know no electricity and you know during this time that would never happen again right like i would never be sleeping in a bunk bed with an aristocrat uh in my life i think And and so somehow it was still very important to be that close to the enemy. You know, I could have strangled him in in the bed (laughs) in the middle of the night and he knew I could have done that. Like, you know, so there was a kind of like mutual respect there in a way uh, when they, you know, as their confidence grew, my hatred for them as a class, as representative of a class also grew. And uh, and so, of course, I wanted to get away. It gave me a lot of like, you know, pathos with the ladies as well, like who were from my same school, you know. So I was in a very different situation than I had been before I went to China, where I had no friends who were girls. And now all of a sudden I had only friends who were girls and so that was also like you know felt nice you know to be <laughs> recognized in that way and so you know remember that children when you you know if you want to be cool and be, you know sexy read marks right <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the only way
1: <laughs> uh, understanding but, the power uh, dynamics in society will get yeah. yeah that's how you yeah. become the host right in any given I situation guess. right yeah, uh, yeah you know even as i read more picaresque stuff and read about all kinds of confidence games and swindles you know even mm-hmm. if you are the slave and you are confronting the master, uh, if you mm-hmm. can manage to be the host and make the master the guest in the Zen sense, yeah. uh, you yeah. can flip, you can do the judo flip, you can flip the script uh, and maybe right. get something done.
2: Doesn't Hegel say something like that? Also, like in the beginning of the Phenomenology, the Geist, when he talks about like that the slave is sometimes in a more favorable position than the master because he's mm-hmm. like, it's easier for him to get away with things somehow.
1: Like, I don't uh, remember, is that the slave master? There's a master-slave dialectic, right? Yeah, is that part of the yeah, phenomenology? It, it belongs
2: to it belongs it belongs to that. Yeah, and it's in the phenomenology. I guess it's generally associated with Nietzsche, but it starts off in in Hegel. Uh, but uh, I mean, I can see how, like, you, you know, you you have a sort of incognito uh, position as a slave. Nobody really knows anything about you other than the fact that you're a slave. And so they won't consider you, you know, really an enemy. Whereas the master is, you know, the same thing was true for us. You know, they were from aristocratic families. I could go on Wikipedia, read all about who their parents were, who their grandparents were, everything they'd done. You know, they were public people in the history of my country, whereas I was a nobody. And, you know, they knew nothing about me. And so my, in my slave position was, you know, very incognito and, you know, they had, they didn't have shit on me, whereas I had, all you know, 300 or 400 yeah. years of shit on them. So oh. yeah.
1: it's amazing how, you know, Wikipedia, of course, didn't exist all, all the time. And, and now we have that and now we can find these things out, you know, and I think that yeah. a lot of people in those circles are hungry for that time again when they were able yeah. to hide and cloak power yeah. much more effectively mm-hmm. and they're looking for, for all sure. kinds of ways to do that
2: that is certainly uh, a thing like uh, they're not fans of transparency right or, of any no. kind well i mean they need yeah, to a degree they love fame which is the problem yeah mm-hmm. that's the problem right like ah, especially yeah. for some of the newcomers you know like uh, gates and, and and you know max and zuckerberg and and bezos all the ones we know of you know they mm-hmm. are suckers for fame which I'm sure is like, you know, that's going to bring them down. Right. They're not ashamed of their crimes anymore in the way that they used to be. Mm. And so with the Internet, as you just said, you know, everything is already history, you know, like it's already there and it's like a gathering of evidence until, you know, we are in the position of condemning them. And, uh, you know, People's Tribunal will have a lot of material to go
1: through. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they'll have to get to the people that are behind Gates and and the people that we Mm -hmm. don't see, because, of course, there's a strong possibility they're ahead of us on that one. And and Gates is very much like the early kings and chiefs that, uh, you know, secret societies that are just beginning to become a ruling class start to mm-hmm. throw up, you know, For sure. from, from among yeah. the lower ranks of themselves. Right. Yeah. So it's someone who they can control. I mean, uh, well, you, you're yeah. very much more based than I was. I, I went to a fancy boarding school that was, I mean, fancy to me, but it was really the like, ochikobore, like all the people that failed out of uh, the more elite Chicago uh, prep schools would fall down okay. to my school right oh yeah so for me it was you were a boarding up. there
2: as well yeah, yeah you, i got you a lived
1: at the school i was offered a a scholarship to to study there and so i went and um yeah we wear we wore ties it was my first time wearing a tie all the time and mm. yeah. uh i i became so... a very eager class collaborator so you're way more based <laughs> than me
2: well, I had the opportunity of like not boarding at the school, you know, so yeah. the, the uh, you know, the schism was already there because, you know, I was what was called an extern and they were the interns uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, we who lived in the village uh, or the city, it's about 3000 people who live in the city and it's like, you know, on the countryside of Stockholm. And so most of them would, you know, have their families in Stockholm or they were international and so they ha- had their families in Switzerland or in England or, you know, in other places And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we were already uh, excluded from... But then, you know, uh, like I said to you, like on Discord, you know, I saw a lot of my friends from like, you know, as old as like, you know, kindergarten friends trying super hard, you know, to be uh, friends with these people, you know, because that would be promising for their Mm -hmm. future, obviously. Whereas I had no interest in doing that. And um, I don't know, like, anyway, it made me feel like what was it I was like, you know, maybe looking for? Like, what gave me this uh, um, sense of like standing on my two legs? You know, why why wasn't I doing the same thing that my friends were doing? Like, why didn't I find find anything interesting? And and uh, and there was, of course, you know, it must it had something to do with what I experienced in China. You know, like I was a very, even though I, as I said, you know, I I didn't have the theoretical framework yet to explain. Uh, uh, what i had seen but there was still a very you know out of the pod moment of seeing the factories for the first time seeing the real proletariat for the first time and like you know understanding where does all the stuff come from you know like what everything that i and they were buying to prove who they were class-wise I had seen where they were made, you know, I seen where Mm -hmm. the factories that made the clothes that distinguished us from each other in Sweden. And I'd seen, you know, those uh, factories that made the televisions that distinguished us and, you know, the electronics and the automobiles. And, and so that, that was, you know, you can't put, you know, like once you have been to that place and the tree has fallen and you heard it in fall in the, in the forest, Mm. you can't unhear it somehow. And, um, and so I felt, you know, that I had to go back to, to China. You know, I, there was something there that I, ha- I had. Uh, and, and you know, as I already said, you know, I had to defend Marx in, in a class. And I didn't know anything about Mao or Maoism yet. You know, I, I barely knew that China had had a Marxist revolution. And that, yeah. you know, that it was still a communist country. I knew, but like, you know, I didn't know what communism was. And so there was, uh, mm-hmm. st- but there's still like, there was interest there. And, and so I had to follow, you know. That scent, right? Like, uh, what does Dogen call it? You've caught a whiff of the way, right? Mm-hmm. I think Dogen mm-hmm. says in the shop again. So, like, uh, I don't know what it is in Japanese, but, like, yeah. like I don't know, know. I haven't read you, it. You, yeah. We, we say in, in in the West, we say you have a nose for things, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When you, you know, when you, yeah, when, you right. um, when you, you know, you've you got some, yeah. or you, we say you've got skin on your nose, right? When you have experience and you say you have a nose for things when, when you know yeah, what's up. I know that of.
1: expression. And knows for things. Yeah. China. Yeah. I mean, in a way, me too, you know, like coming to Japan didn't give me that kind of experience because, you know, as I ult- ultimately realized, Japan is this Cold War uh, American kind of yeah, creation. Yeah,
2: satellite colony kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So like there was none of that. Post modern
2: satellite colony, maybe.
1: But going to revisionist China and really seeing, like, indeed, exactly where the rubber meets the road. And like serious mm-hmm. poverty, and yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, I but at that, the same time, you know, like I think, like, you know, when I've been to like you know, like Malaysia or something, and when you see a more sub proletarian poverty, it's also different, you know, then you I think it provokes just a sheer, you know, disgust, like you know, with the way that the world is, whereas going to you know, Shanghai. And, you know, because I was a poor student when I came mm. back and I would, you know, as soon as I learned to like normal Chinese food, like not the food mm. that I was if you're familiar with in Chinese restaurants in Europe. And uh, and somebody really put it like in the best way. They felt they said somebody said to me, like, you know, when you get sick and uh, and, and you're longing for like some food to make you feel better when you're sick. And when that was about, like, that's when I knew, like, you know, now I have sort of like, you know, made some step into like uh, feeling at home over here because like I don't want that no, no longer wanted the toast with butter that my mother used to make for me when I was a kid and I felt sick. Now, when I'm sick, I wanted, you know, to go out and get a about b- because, you know, that would mm-hmm. make me feel like, you know, at ease and at home. And mm-hmm. so... You know, and and then uh, you know, often the workers' restaurants in Shanghai, at least back then, like this is early two thousand, right? Like two thousand five, two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they would, they um, uh, you know, they were often sponsored, like by by the Communist Party, especially like Joutsa restaurants were like workers' restaurants, and so I would go there because it was so cheap, you know, and and you could. I might have so gone easily. to one of those.
1: Yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. <laughs>
2: They have the yeah. black
1: vinegar and garlic fucking yeah. on the table yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can yeah crush the garlic And with there's your also hand.
2: usually a hammer and a sickle on the top and if you know you know they are real communists and not just uh, taking the subsidy when they also have Marx Engels and, and Mao on, on inside the 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 restaurant on the on the placard whereas some they I don't they skip the... Yeah. Oh, okay. Now yeah, then you maybe you went to a, maybe a it was like a fake I mean one. the Wow. Yeah, but they're not fake. They're still subsidized by the Communist Party and I'm sure, you know, they, are, you know, they work as the proletarians, but maybe they're not, you know, as conscious as the ones who have like uh...
1: right. But the clientele well, it, is, it was also right you know, by, you know, it was in Wudaoko. Um hmm. I was at um mm-hmm. a language university where, you know, all kinds of foreign students yeah, were coming. So think... maybe they would have like said hey you know chill out with the hammer and sickle and stuff because we got <laughs> that all could be. students yeah. coming from all over could be could be yeah then
2: you know like you start to like also like in the beginning of course i just parted with my friends like at the university as you would you know like mm-hmm. it's also crazy like you know back then it was the common thing was like a 100 yen entrance and then it was open bar that was like on all the places i don't think that exists oh. anymore in shanghai as the same way that it used to do but that was, you know, crazy. Uh, and, uh, and so the life was, you know, good. Like, it was so good. Like, you know, you lived like, you know, like, mm. like you already had a job, even though I was just getting yeah. my student subsidy from, from the government in Sweden. But I felt like yeah. I was living as if I had a full-time professional job, you know, because what did I get? Like 6,000, no, maybe 8,000 renminbi each month from the government to study abroad. And mm-hmm. uh and, and that was, you know, more than enough. Like, you know, when, when the rent is like 400, 500 renminbi and, mm-hmm. you know, like a jouts, a place like that, you pay three renminbi for a full lunch. Uh, right. You can go even cheaper, like uh, yeah. I would learn later when I went to the countryside. Uh, but here at this time of my life, I'm still, you know, I'm not ready to, like, you know, become a peasant yet. You know, I'm still like, mm-hmm. this is awesome. Everything is different, but, you know, we can still party mm-hmm. And, you know, we can live like, you know, the life that, uh, you know, somebody in their early 20s lives. And so, and also had like, you know, a strange mix, you know, of people. My best friends were like from Panama, Germany, um, uh, different Central American places like uh, Colombia. Well, that's North South America, but, you know, uh, some Ecuadorians. I, I had a girlfriend from Kazakhstan for a while. And the girlfriend from Anhui. Anhui is like the province, a really poor province, like northwest of uh, Shanghai. Uh, that was a little bit later when I got like, you know, more into being more alone and living in China, I guess. But uh, then I think something started to happen. Like after university, um, well, I continued like to study like distance courses. But once I had like learned Chinese and could speak Chinese fluent and I left sort of the... Uh, Uh, The Chinese university. I also studied first like art history in a Chinese university for a while, called Donghua Daxue, and uh, and I started to you know paint and stuff. And I used I made like some uh, menus for some of these small restaurants, like uh, that were like you know serving jugs and stuff, like just because I felt like it, and uh, you know, and they would give me you know food when I came there, and I felt like you know. That's so cool, like, <laughs> and I got to use like the hammer and sickle, you know, like in graphic design work, and, and that was awesome. But then I got a job as a as an event photographer uh, for a, for a paper, and uh, I sort of I was introduced to a, like a, another level, I guess, of the partying world. I mean, to start hmm. off, like, I mean. A club is never as fun when you're not drunk to to start, you know. That's already another yeah. level. You see, like, what bullshit this is somehow. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, 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 it loses a bit of its uh, flair. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that started to, like, really get to me, uh, little by little. But also, I started to, like, you know, there were more drugs. I didn't take much drugs, to be honest, but I saw there were, like, most, you know, people who worked as event photographers. And the crowd that I was introduced to in this like journalist world of events and stuff, you know, you get free tickets to go to the better parties, you know, not the 100 yen open bar parties, but the parties where mm. it's still open bar, but it's like, you know, black label, Johnny Walker. And there's, pro- there's a room where you can do cocaine. Yeah. Well, There's the rooms. And... Yeah. Are mm. you in the yeah. VIP <laughs> Do you have access to the VIP yeah. room? Everybody's yeah. always trying
1: to get into one further room that's further in.
2: Yeah right and so i could definitely have taken it was like a kickstart to be a photographer because you were invited even though you didn't you know because the coolest people want to be seen as the coolest people so of course i need a photographer and so i would also be asked one thing i liked more though was that i was there was a lot of bands coming to uh, china at that time like there was started to be like more of a live scene as well and so on Mm -hmm. the side i was sometimes asked to you know document the work of some like bands and doing interviews with uh, bands at live bars and th- that i really liked you know because that was uh you know that was like underground and like more my niche you know it wasn't mm-hmm. you know people in suits you know it was artists and stuff you know talking about what it was like to be you know a psychedelic rock star in china and uh, coming from i don't know Henan or hunan or, or somewhere uh or, or Shangxi. and uh, and there was also like some Western bands and like, you know, some American uh I remember one American drummer, I really like became friends with him, and he uh, uh wanted to have a like, kind of like you know documentary made about like you know their tour in, in China, so I did a little bit of work with them.
0: But uh Did that get you that out into was... the countryside at
2: all? Uh not yet. I got some work mm-hmm. later. That got me out to the countryside because somebody wanted me to make a reportage about like uh, local food markets. I think maybe that was like during the first swine flu thing. I can't remember when that was. Maybe it was a bit earlier, and uh, Mm. that was more for like a a blog that was uh, like kind of news uh, thing. Before there was Substack, you know, people were doing like blog things, and there were like eight writers there, but there was no photographer, and so they needed Mm. like you know uh you know stock photos wasn't really a thing either then so they needed you know somebody to go out take photos for them and so I, I that's when I sort of started to go out to the countryside. But the the thing that really got to me was that I started to you know get this feeling you know that this you know like you were saying you know there was always another room you know and I saw how yeah. people who were not there professionally how they were scheming and fucking each other over and I was really wondering for what, you know, for what to just get into the next room, you know, like isn't things already fine over here, where where you know people? Why do you want to go to the next room where you know less people, and then you know to a place where finally you're alone and everybody who is there is alone, and yeah. you know, and what's the and point? You fucked like, over
1: everybody in all the other rooms to get to the yeah, yeah, uh,
2: yeah, and 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 I and you know, and you have to talk to so many gross people simply put that Mm. you would never have talked to otherwise you know i had to do a lot of like you know interviews with like you know up-and-coming businessmen and they wanted to take Mm. have their portrait taken and and i just got an insight again to this kind of world that i really didn't want to be a part of and so i I was sort of awakened to what i had felt back in sweden in that uh, you know uh, school uh, Mm. in the boarding school and so i uh, I did two things. One thing, I, I started to like go up into abandoned uh, or not abandoned, but not yet finished skyscrapers. And during this time in Shanghai, there were so many being made and there was no security and there weren't really that many foreigners over there. So you could just go there, look somewhat casual, smart, and they would let you in and no mm. worker would be, you know, wondering why is there a law here? You know, why is there a... a... Wokaku, yeah. uh, uh, what,
1: what's yeah. it called again in, in Japanese? Japanese gaijin? Gaijin. gaijin? gaijin. yeah, Gaijin. Yeah. Uh, gaikon, no, why? So uh, like gaikon, a, a yeah, a white a white person, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. It's as uh over here as well. You know, as a young white male, you lo- there's always plenty of uh, leisurely former bankers and so on with too much time on their hands who would love to tell you their opinions and. Yeah,
2: yeah, it it happens. And I had to do it like for, for you know a living, so I couldn't avoid it. Yeah. And uh, and so that this was my way of avoiding it. The first thing I did was to go to these skyscrapers and I would bring like sometimes a bottle of wine, cup noodle and a thermos of hot water and I would bring a sleeping bag, sometimes even a tent. That was later I started to get a tent and I would go up and I would stay like on the top, on the roof of these places. And I would just look out over the city and sometimes, you know, they would be tall enough that it almost became silent and you were above the clouds Uh. and, uh, and, and like, you know, playing with the idea also, like I would sit on the edge, you know, like 400 Mm. meter, 300 meter up in the air and just dangle my feet over there. And, uh, and I, I didn't think, you know, like about suicide or, or something, but I would feel at the same time that it was, Somehow, you know, there was a question there, almost like in the question of what's his name, you know, the absurdist uh, uh, who did the plague, right? Um, uh, When he says, you know, the the ultimate philosophical question is, you know, why don't you commit suicide? And then the next question is, you know, know, should you commit suicide or not, right? It was uh, the ultimate, he said. But actually, the deepest question is, since the answer is no, then why? Why don't you? You know, and what is it that keeps you here? you know uh, so i i started to you know have these experiences of sitting up I there i think of the seeing, there's a song you know... by
1: the band cake that goes uh you know your all the people you hate will get their hooks into you uh the, yeah. the the your your sword will fall out of its sheath your all of your metal will rust but you still don't want to leave before the end of the movie uh uh-huh. and it's basically yeah. saying the same thing right <laughs> right mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah. going to the, leave, you know, you know, everything is, everyone you love will die, you know, all this, but, hmm. but, but the you're game living is still worth the candle. Right now, it's still worth uh, experiencing.
2: Yeah. I, I, have, I know the can author, think of, author now. It's Albert Camus, by the way.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, Camus. Okay. Um, mm. I, I can think of similar experiences in the mountains and I felt like there, I had a duty to uh ha- take us an attitude of I did so many dangerous things, you know, like like swimming yeah. in a uh waterfall. There's a waterfall that's you know just maybe two dozen meters tall, crashing that's down enough, into yeah, crashing down into then this pool that is the same amount deep. And looking at that rushing water down, you know, and the way that if you ever got sucked into that, you would, you know, it would be whatever chance you'd you'd come out again right yeah uh but i felt like i had a duty you know i did so many things that i would never do now um just running and jumping and climbing and whatever yeah uh in yeah. these rivers and mountain uh waterfalls and things uh it's impressive I felt how like, brave you were <laughs> yeah as a young how wild, kid you, know, one you was. just have yeah young dumb and full of comp you're just running and in... well but yeah. it's great you know and that's the way that a young yeah. person should be and there's something about the world that invites you to just yeah, yeah so what i mean if if the forces of the universe decide that i fall and break my leg or something well fuck it you know that's what's going to happen yeah and that, yeah, that kind like of, embrace of the
2: instruction moment. i got like from a tibetan master like um uh, like one of these pointing out instructions was basically go to a secluded place and act out anything that comes into your mind and that's sort of like you know that's what you're saying you know like the world is already there asking you to do this you know uh, to find out what it is to be here somehow you know like it's uh uh i mean right. all, like uh the zen and the shan tradition also puts a lot of emphasis on uh you know to and suran right like uh, spontaneity mm-hmm and naturalness mm-hmm. uh like uh Wu Wei, right in the Taoist tradition like this effortlessness you know means that which is ready yeah. at hand somehow you know mm-hmm. and uh, Wu Wei already has a picture of a, a hand right in it there is the uh, uh i know Wah- alan watts often likes to do that uh, reading of the character that it's like a hand trying to catch a bird right but you shouldn't really th- you know you're the bird somehow right like in the egyptian uh uh hieroglyphs right the bird was the soul right somehow uh, well they didn't call it soul but uh, but you know this you know is a bird. What, yeah 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 what 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 are the the what we're looking for like this this inner spontaneity if you try to you know catch it you should be caught by it somehow you know and let yourself just go Uh, rather than trying to think what's the most spontaneous thing to do. You know, that wouldn't work, right? That would be trying to catch Mm -hmm. the bird Mm -hmm. somehow. So I did that for quite some time before it occurred to me that what I was doing was kind of, you know, shikantasa, like just sitting, you know, because I would Mm -hmm. sit up there, maybe not in the lotus position, but like in a half lotus or like what we call tailor position in Sweden. Like uh, you sit, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of with your legs crossed. Yeah. And I would sit there and, you know, just for hours doing nothing, just looking at the sunrise and the sunset over the city that I had grown to like and was now starting to learn to hate somehow, you know? Um, and uh, what had once been, you know, beautiful, you know, neon lights now started to look like a pirate treasure somehow, you know, of uh, mm. of false jewels. And uh, and I had a kind of spiritual experience when I started to go down I remember one time I was walking from one of those skyscrapers to a subway and I felt like kind of like what I don't like Titi Suzuki and I know you don't do it either but he has one nice thing where he says like well, you know we asked like what's Satori like and he says it's everyday life but one inch above the ground and I had this kind yeah. of the Tibetans call it like uh, air walking something like mm-hmm. that you know where you can walk for hours and I had this kind of feeling You know, the wanderer was starting, the the wanderlust was starting to grow in me. Uh, Mm -hmm. Freud even talks about this also in the um, interpretation of dreams, uh, the ambivalent automatism or something. I can't remember what he calls it, but it was a really it was a common and a real diagnosis at the turn of uh, 1800, 1900, where people were diagnosed with this, that, you know, you just don't know why, but you have to keep on walking. And so I didn't Ah. take the closest subway station. I ended up walking for hours in Shanghai, just plain wandering. And the day become night. And in the twilight, uh, when the sun had gone down, but it was still light, the faces of people around me just started, you know, it was an imagination that I was not in control of, like something better within me was imagining things for me as they really were the sort of the reality of the fiction somehow was be- led clear and uh and the faces weren't good you know and i felt like i'm not at home here anymore you know maybe i'm at home like you know in china but uh not in the city anymore you know the city is not your friend somehow and uh and then i started to go to a temple outside uh of uh shanghai in uh the suburbs, maybe two hours away from Hangzhou, maybe you also been to Hangzhou, you know, there's like the famous lake there. It's a very typical uh, like tourist place for Shanghainese to go. It's like very picturesque oh, okay. and, and they have like boats you can go out onto the lake. Uh, and there's some nice um, uh, parks there with statues. It has a lot of like Buddhist mm-hmm. significance as well. Lots of nice statues and old, very old like rock carvings of buddhas and stuff like that and there was a temple over there and i met um, a me- uh, like a mentor who was uh he was trying to get uh, like workshops going but it was a bit too far away i think from shanghai to like really make that happen but uh i came and um, and there were some people who, who you know came and left and i would stay for longer and uh, we, I became really good friends with him and I started to really like, you know, consider living there, like, you know, you know, to become a monastic uh, monk. But somehow, like, I think at that time I didn't understand it. I felt betrayed, but I understand it now to be the best thing ever. And we, I still keep contact with him, you know, many, many years later, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. because it's been almost 10 years now, uh, 12 since we first met and uh, his master was really old and so he couldn't take me you know under his wing you know and he couldn't mm-hmm. the the temple couldn't afford to have me there permanently basically and so mm-hmm. i think i mentioned this i took the uh the vows and we had a ceremony mm-hmm. and i uh, shaved my head and you know like we burnt the incense and so we did like you know an initiation and uh, and then he helped me you know like uh to sort of prepare uh, a pilgrimage you know that i would become like you mm-hmm. know Uh, a wanderer but it didn't like you know as I said you know at first I felt sort of betrayed so I sort of tried to go back to the city and integrate once again and you know thinking that like well okay fuck that then you know like that didn't happen you know and they didn't accept Mm. me but then it came back like with a vengeance you know the wanderlust and there was one Mm. situation you know like that's a cool story like me and a few friends first I remember the last summer when I was in Shanghai. Me and my very good friend, my cousin, who is also a Marxist and we are like best friends and we talk, you know, about all parapolitical things. And and he came to stay with me and a lot of other people came as well. And we were eventually more than 12 or 15 people in their early 20s, my brother and his friends, my cousin and some friends of mine living in a a three room apartment, you know. So it was uh, it was crazy, a crazy summer. And they were, you know, just there for a little while. My cousin was going to be there longer because he started to study Chinese as well. He wanted to do a similar thing that I oh, had nice. started, you know, many years earlier. And um, But that started that started to become sort of the same thing that I had seen, you know, as a photographer. You know, a lot of drugs and these younger kids, you know, they wanted to have like a little bit of a rock and roll summer. You know, it was the first, mm. I guess, it was what we call uh, when you have like one year between high school and university. A gap year. It, uh, yeah, gap year, you say yeah. like, yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and then we moved uh, the older ones, like some of you know of my friends, we had been friends, some of us since the first time when we went to that language school when we were f- 15 and 16 and then we had reunited like in our 20s. And, uh, and so we had been friends for much longer. And we had, you know, one of them was a friend from uh, um, uh, Bavaria and his wife, and he has a kid now and his wife was the best friend of my wife at that time. Also in Shanghai, you know, so it's like some some of these connections still they're still there, like many, you know, a decade later. And which All is right. nice, of course. And and I meet him sometimes. had started to make
1: time. real lasting connections. Yeah, I had you didn't have so in the rock and roll scene.
2: Yeah, right. So much, right. And so so some of them. So we were three, four of us. We went to live in another house. And it was a really nice old house in the french concession and we got it really cheap usually they're really expensive over there but this was like a you know sort of run down house like it would have needed a Extra. lot of renovation yeah it would have needed a lot of like you know uh to be uh you know a, a price for the gentrification it would have definitely needed a lot of work even on the first floor there was an elderly lady of 70 living with her mother who was like 97 or something like closing in mm-hmm. on 100 and and, wow. uh, and they were pretty much deaf. So it didn't matter if we were loud either. And it's uh, oh, nice, the, but it was amazing, like to like, I don't know, to, to live with them. And it was so funny because our last uh, uh, staircase led to the first floor where right there was a toilet with a, no door. So very often yeah. when you come down the staircase, the old 100-year-old lady would be sitting there on the toilet. And it was just like, nice. hello.
1: And it's like, uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and we, <laughs> you? and I'm you just going? going to work. Yeah, Our yeah, old ladies, see like, well, in China as well, um, in Japan, definitely. Yeah, they're, they're like the village uh, intelligence service. And so they'll always yeah. Yeah, no, they are. ask you, they're where are you similar. going today? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. where were you? What were you doing? You know, <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: You yeah, know, very chatty and very yeah. like, you know,
2: it was very good, you know, to uh, you know, practice your Shanghainese like cause oh, they wow. would speak like they would know that you I mean, I can't speak Shina- Shanghainese, but you were forced to sort of understand because they would not mm. speak Pudonghua with us Mandarin. Wow. And uh, so one thing happened then, like, you know, so I was starting to become more integrated again, like to regular life. And, uh, you know, maybe life could have turned out very differently. And I, that could have been a, just a small detail, a, a funny story maybe to tell that I went to a temple once and, and almost became a monk. But then me and one of the guys, we slept in uh, on the second floor. There were three rooms and three mm. floors above the first floor where the old ladies live and uh, and the highest floor it was only a kitchen um, with a leaking roof and we put a pan yeah. over there. And, uh, and I, when we slept like on that second floor, uh, One day, I was supposed to have gone to bed and he was out. And for some reason, because he wasn't sleeping there, I decided to sleep in another room next to it, which nobody of us used because it was so cold and it was really damp Mm. for some reason. But I don't know why, but I just, you know, okay, I'll just lie here, you know, because I don't know, I don't want to be there like when he's not there. I can't really remember the reasoning, Mm. like uh, why. But the next day in the morning, the roof had fallen in right on the place where we were sleeping on the floor and there was a huge block of cement lying where my pillow was wow and his computer had been been destroyed and you know when the other guys came home i was like you know manic basically like the the fire had been yeah. lit within me again and i was like i'm getting the fuck out you know something's telling me to okay. you know i need to leave you know and and so uh, i read in a lot into that situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and As you know would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so i uh the first thing i did I'm actually shocked. wasn't to want huh? Yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 like a major shock and we, we tried first to like you know sort of make the contract redundant and uh you mm. know because i was saying i'm moving out you know so you know if you guys want to stay here uh, you know and then they, you know they i think they first started to try to hustle for or, you know lowering the rent if i was going to leave and mm. they had to pay you know the same rent and then i yeah. think they ended up going to Chongqing Xiong, instead you know yeah. which is another big city in, in china Whereas uh, uh, i yeah. went to the harbor so when they uh, went to Chongqing, i went to the harbor and i got a ticket over to japan and so my wandering didn't really start in in, in china it actually started in in japan and oh. uh and um uh i took the uh, th- you know the lowest class ticket where you sleep like you know i don't know maybe you you took the ferry sometime to korea or, or china it's like nah, a I've big yeah, uh, no, it's nice like uh, they, i mean it's not nice but it's it's, it's an experience well, it uh, sounds they, romantic yeah know, yeah, it's <laughs> charming mm. in a way. Like, um, yeah. it's like a big sleeping room, like where everybody stays together. And mm-hmm. um, uh, it's in the bottom, you know, of, of the and I think the ferry took takes like two, three days, it's not a very fast boat um, mm-hmm. and it goes to Osaka and it goes to Nagasaki. And then I think it goes all the way up to Tokyo sometime. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, I got off in Osaka. Uh, because my oh, okay. yeah. uh, uh, wife today, she was living yeah. in Osaka and we had, you know, been together, but now we had sort of broken up and now I sort of maybe first oh. try to get back with her, but that didn't work out at all. And so she had other ideas, you know, she didn't really want to become a beggar monk, you know, so that was <laughs> not, uh, yeah. not a great thing to, I didn't have we many cards re- to play. Ready. You know, like, yeah. I didn't have anything to offer, you know, other than this dream. And uh, Mm. so I started to, yeah, wander the countryside, basically. And I Mm -hmm. think the first thing I did was I hitchhiked all the way up to... uh, I lived in the Nishinari slum first for maybe Mm -hmm. one, two weeks. Uh, That's in Osaka. That was crazy times, for sure. Mm. Like, uh, Mm. I think I saw my first dead body. I wasn't sure if it was a dead body, but it, it seemed like it There was a lot of, like, me... There was some festival mm. there one night. Like I'd lived there for a week, just sleeping on the on a on a table under a, a tarp, like many people did in Ishinori, and yeah. uh, and uh, people often sleep there under the uh, bridges as well. And like I don't know if you've been there, but like you know, it doesn't yep. look like Japan. It looks like yeah. India almost somehow. You know, like it's very, yeah, it's like a ghetto. They very carefully sequester
1: ghetto. these ghettos, and um, they sweep any homeless people into them very quickly mm-hmm. the police are good at this but uh mm. they exist yeah here in tokyo you'd want to go to Uguisodani to see that mm-hmm. i think that'd be the same kind of thing i was there one time uh for easter i think i went to osaka for easter i wanted to go to mm-hmm. the to a larger church there this is when i was still a, barely a trad i guess um what's yeah. a tradcath? a traditionalist catholic oh really um, oh, wow. yeah. yeah i was staying the night in osaka in a capsule hotel to so that i could go to easter mass uh and um
2: there are a lot of catholic churches there now that you say that i remember working yep. with some nuns even uh, making onigiris they had a food stall there
1: yeah and on the way up it it just happened that a kombini worker gave me a whole big bag full of just barely expired food just randomly, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, that's great. So then I conceived the idea of <laughs> going. I had... Yeah, I think they thought that I was, I needed that. But uh... yeah. yeah, so then I went to, uh... I had heard that Nishi Nariku was where they, there would be homeless people. So I just went around to, like uh, giving out these, this extra food that I had gotten. Mm. So that's, I see. Yeah, I've... I've been there and that's why I went there. But.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Konbini expired food, I made the really you know, great use of that uh, during my wandering in, in Japan those uh, two years. Or oh, one good. Half year. Yeah, like it was really nice. Uh, I mean, it's not nice food.
1: Yeah, normally while, it's but, actually yeah. a really wasteful uh, way to manage yeah. food production, of course, mm-hmm. because, yeah, the because daily...
2: uh, many times they're not allowed to give it out. Yeah, um, I think now yeah. I
1: don't know if you could get them to do that. I think maybe the rules are too mm-hmm. strict now. Yeah, they, they have to throw so. it away or something.
2: Yeah. And I, that means I every would, couple uh, get... hours
1: you're throwing away all this food. Very yeah, wasteful.
2: And I I, yeah. I, try to get them like often, like people who were on cigarette breaks back outside of the uh, convenience stores. They were usually the people who like, you know, didn't couldn't care less about, you know, becoming oh, a manager in, in the 7-Eleven or something. And so they oh, would yeah. like of sneak sneak it out. They would throw it out, maybe sometime even, yeah. and they'd be like, "Pick pick this up in ten minutes." You know, it will everything would be in this bag, you know, and I won't lock the uh, the trash can, and then you just "Oh, there get you go. It. And I'm like, yeah, nice. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah. so I made a long journey up to Osaka from Nishinari, like Nishinari mm-hmm. itself. Like I was going kind of crazy over there. Like one guy did help me. Uh, he gave me uh, my first sumi. Because he was like, you know, if you're going to be a sen, you know, wanderer, like, you know, you should have, you know, a summary, you know, you know, dress the, you know, dress the role and it will be easier for you to be homeless, you know, people, you know, tend to relate differently to to people who are homeless by choice as a begging monk to people who are, you know, just, you know, chronically homeless, which, you know, of course, it's not a good thing, but, you know, you're not going to change that anyway. So might as well wear this. And really? um, and so that was, you know, very good advice. And he also worked with uh, some um, uh, non-profit organization, some NPO over there, can't remember. And he took me to his home for a while, maybe two days I stayed at his place, met some of his friends. And then they went on a trip and I couldn't stay there anymore. And then I felt like, you know, maybe it's time, you know, to leave Nishinari. And, I, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, and the story about like the dead body was that there was a festival there. And then I met some people who were like in a drum club, like a, a trope, yeah. trope, like a drum trope, uh, some mm-hmm. Hare Krishna people, I guess. Yeah. No, they yeah. were like more Hare Krishna, like uh, some, they didn't oh, really wow. wear, they they, they, oh. they were doing like Hindu chants, but they didn't look like Hare Krishnas and they were much wow. more pleasant to be around. I don't know why, like they were, and they, they. I went with them to first to like a a, a place for disabled people and they had this drum thing there. And then they said, you know, you know, Nishinari is going to change now for a a week and there's going to be like a big festival there. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed there for that. And one night we went to uh, an onsen in uh, one of the suburbs next to Nishinari uh, before Mm -hmm. I was going to go back and sleep in Nishinari. And on the way back, there was like uh, that road that we came out on from the onsen was completely shut off. And so nobody was allowed in there. But for some reason, they hadn't thought about, you know, the onsen. I guess it wasn't popular. So we came out behind the, you know, closed off marking lines. Hmm. And there were loads of police standing there. And there was a body in a big pool of blood. And so it looked like he had been shot or something.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. That
2: really, you know, that sort of freaked me out as well. I was like, wow, this is really like, I'd seen already there is one uh, subway station in Nishinari where everybody goes to like wash themselves in the morning. And there I saw, you know, all the Yakuza guys, you know, who are not allowed to go to the onsen with their tattoos and everything. So I knew it was already, Uh you know, a lot of Yakuza in Nishinari. But when I saw that, I was like, fuck, you know, I could get killed, like, you know, just as a bystander by accident, by being here, you know? So maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, as fun as it is, as much as, you know, a good story and, you know, off the beaten track that it is to live here. Maybe I should keep on walking now, you know, and, uh, Mm. you know, say goodbye in my mind to my girlfriend. Mm. And uh, oh, and then, yeah, and I didn't actually start wandering immediately because I met then some guy who had a small factory over there. Uh, He liked my uh, I slept in. He was a Catholic like you. Uh, No, wait, some uh, Pentecostalist, I think, who had uh, uh, like one of those food stands there. And they were giving out oh. onigiris, and that's the end. But they, but they did that together with the Catholic uh, um, uh, nuns. That's how I started mm-hmm. to make onigiri with them. And he was like, when that day's work was done, he took me to a bar and he got drunk, and he said, "You can come and sleep in my office at my factory." And he had Chinese people working in the factory, and so I, you know, talked to them like in Chinese, oh, and we made fun yeah. about the, the boss. Because, like, you Uh know, Chinese people have a good, like, proletarian consciousness, you know. They wouldn't laugh to any of his jokes, you know. We watched some (laughs) sumo wrestling game, and they would tell him to his Uh face, like, this is pathetic. Like, you, you know, this is not real sport. (laughs) And uh, they just, you know, no arse licking whatsoever. Like, they just so, like, harassed this guy. And, uh, like, in a way, like, he was a dirty old man. So, you know, he deserved to be a bit harassed by these ladies. Uh-oh. And uh, but he was nice enough to mm. buy me uh, a bus ticket to Tokyo from Osaka, and oh. so the first oh. stop was uh, yeah was I did that a mm. night bus from Osaka uh, to Tokyo, mm-hmm. and um, when I came to Tokyo, I remember in the bus station the first thing I did was get an okonomiyaki with uh, the money that he had mm. given me, and it was the first time like in a long oh. time I didn't eat convenience uh, food or onigiris oh, nice. from the nuns. Yeah. And it was great. And I asked the guy, you know, uh, can I have a, an extra large Okonomiyaki for the same price? And then he just yeah. like went with his head, like showing that he got it, why my head was shaved. And then he like, you know, and he, and he started to me and I was like, oh, nice. Yeah. Like, this is great, oh, you actually, could... <laughs> like wearing a samui and, and being a wandering monk. This is going to work out just fine. And then <laughs> and it did at times. And sometimes, you know, it was a lot rougher. But mm-hmm. um, I got talking to somebody at a convenience store later that day. That was for breakfast, okonomiyaki, because the, it was a night bus. And uh, and for some reason, that person spoke English. So we we shared a, a cigarette, and I asked him, you know, I don't really know, you know, where I should go. Like I was in, so, like I had been to Japan one time before that. During my first time, when I was sixteen in China, we went for uh spring break or something something equivalent of spring break like a right, little bit after Chinese new year so I guess it's earlier than spring and so I didn't really know much about Japan to be honest I mean my girlfriend had been Japanese uh, well she's Japanese but you mm-hmm. know she was an ex-girlfriend by now uh and you know today she's my wife but I didn't know that back then and this uh, is yeah
1: plot uh, twists uh, coming I, I can tell
2: yeah, and I mean it. It would take ten years before we got back together. So it's a real nice like Romeo and Juliet story. But
0: uh, Romeo and Juliet, I didn't really know what dead, to do. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's
2: true. That's true. Yeah, the most most romantic thing I
1: could think of. Well, it's like uh, oh, it's very romantic. Well, well, be, well, they do take the medicine that puts you asleep and makes you look dead, and then come back to life, and so there's yeah resurrection.
2: Maybe three. Tristan and his old did they die in that one as well?
1: Uh, I actually don't know that story. I don't know okay, what's the story? So,
2: uh, I think that's an older Greek like Romeo and Juliet version. I can't remember. Well, you that.
1: had a, a Fort Da, you know, gone and there again.
2: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's true. And uh, and I went. This guy said you should go to Kamakura. Is what this guy said. Mm. Uh, I don't think he was Buddhist, but he knew, you know, like that's where the Buddha in Kamakura is. And so, you know, if you want to get some guidance, if I was a Buddhist, I would go there, you know, like uh, and uh, there are many temples and I was like, okay, let's do that. And then I went up Mm -hmm. to like a big uh, tower in Tokyo, had a, you know, my old tradition of like sleeping up there and I had a hammock, I got in a hammock from the guy who had a factory, he was making textiles, but he wasn't making hammocks. But for some reason he had a hammock and it was a nice, nice hammock. It was like my most prized possession, and so I would take Mm. it up, and I would put it, you know, between some, you know, some suitable uh, antennas on the on the top roof of uh, like uh, skyscrapers, and uh, and I slept there, and I was listening to the city noise, you know, and it was right above. I think, what is that place called in Tokyo? You know, where the big bar streets is.
1: I don't know. There's there's several for me. Shinjuku.
2: Yeah, Shinjuku would
1: be a big one yeah yeah I wow think I was you so you're a real yeah. stylite, you know yeah. sleeping in <laughs> on the roofs of skyscrapers, <laughs> Marcus the stylite <laughs>
2: yeah, me and the crows
0: on <clears> the <throat> awesome. crows
2: up there, and so I saw you know a bit of the view, and I was you know using like that as my compass to see you know tomorrow what landmarks should I be passing as I walk towards Kamakura. And I started walking to Kamakura, and I, oh, was, uh, you've been to
1: Kamakura. I, I walked, that.
2: yeah, all the way from Tokyo yeah. to Kamakura. That took a long time. And uh, when I got to the beach, I, um, you know, I slept under a boat there because it's a fishing village. And um, mm-hmm. I, and I think I slept on the, on the beach for a week. And then I met a guy who had a restaurant there, and you sh- you can go to that restaurant. It's called Magokoro. I'm not sure if I talked okay. about this before, but yeah, no. it's a nice guy called Shinji who has it, and Magokoro means basically hemp heart, right? Like
1: uh, I suppose, like um, yeah. And so he has. Does he, oh, he writes it with food. the the character for hemp. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, Magokoro yeah. normally <laughs> that would just mean true. You know, it would be written with the character for truth. Uh, oh. so like true heart sincerity. Yeah. Real traditional virtue, but uh, yeah, writing it with he hemp changed it, I guess. Oh, that's a nice little graphic joke then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Next with what we were talking about <laughs> I earlier. didn't
2: know that, but that's really nice that you, you say that because, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, he was that kind of guy. Uh, he had a daughter uh, who was half Colombian. He had had an ex-wife mm-hmm. from Colombia. And so he took me, um, I came to his restaurant and asked, you know, uh, if he had rice uh, that I could get. And then he asked, like, you know, I seen you I think down by the beach are you sleeping there? and I said, yeah, uh, and he's like, oh, so you're a pilgrim and I said, yeah and then uh, he was like, do you want like any money or something? and I said, no, like but if you have some rice and then he was like, that's awesome and then he, he went into the kitchen and he was telling everybody he was like, yeah. this guy you know I, I asked him <laughs> if, you know ask if he wants money but he only wants rice you know like, it's a real pilgrim and then like uh, uh, I became good friends with him and I stayed with him for like, uh, yeah, maybe another week or something. And, uh, he had some friends coming over, like the last night, uh, they were like, all like ex, kind of, you know, semi burned out hippies, like in their sixties, fifties.
1: Oh, yeah. 50s. yeah uh, they have down there kind of like Enoshima and there's like a beach scene. Yeah.
2: Right. right A lot of surfing yeah. we did as well. That was great. Like, oh, it was great. so nice to just be surfing up for for a week. Uh, and uh, one of the people who came to his sort of get together the last day, uh, they all smoked up and somebody told me you know that they knew somebody down in uh, Jizuoka, uh mm. who runs uh, runs a barbecue restaurant by the beach. Uh-huh. And uh, and he said, I'm going there and probably you can work there at his uh, restaurant, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so if you want to come with me, we can go there. And then I said, yeah, you know, like, OK, but uh, I'm not sure if I can go now because uh, Shinji, the guy, uh, had has already organized for me to go to a farm uh, to work mm-hmm. on, at a farm. And he was like, OK, that's cool. I know who, whose farm that is. So I'll come get you by the end of the month like when the uh when the rice you know planting season is over and then i say, okay nice and then uh, i went there and i lived on that farm for a while and that was like my first uh, rice farming experience and and it was you know Mm -hmm. i sort of fell in love with uh with rice farming over there and the guy was like very like like a farmer like not talking a lot and uh you know, which made everything he said more profound, you know, because there would be like maximum three sentences a day. And so there was no chit chat. And so whatever he said, you know, and I only got one, you know, like the guest host dialectics. (laughs) I was only the host one time. And that time I said, you know, that, you know, the next, in the next communism, everybody will be farmers. I said to him, you know, I felt like I had that insight, like, uh-huh. I'll tell you a little bit maybe why I had that insight. I had, remember, I brought mm. from uh, a pharmacy in uh, in China, I had brought like 1,000, 2,000 morning glory seeds, which is what you can oh. make sort of like LSA with. It's like a kind of similar oh. compound to LSD. And so wow. I had made like an extraction with gin of these seeds oh. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember the apotheque, uh, the pharmacist in China, he was asking me why I was yeah. buying the seeds. And he was like, yeah. you want to make things more colorful, do you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that might nice. be it. Uh, yeah, it. it was really nice. And um, the
1: flowers of the eye.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I had made like a gin tincture uh, out the of tincture, it, back Tincture, that's Jean's fantastic. Place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh and when i came you know and i never felt like with shinji you know that it was the good time to do it but one day when i you know had got used to like planting rice and i just felt so like like this is what i want to do you know like i had already been a painter and so the proverbial like you know watching paint to dry being the most boring thing in the world i had already accepted that as the wow. best thing in the world uh yeah. Yeah, and then then the second proverbial thing, you know, watching grass grow. Now I had come to accept Mm. that as another thing to be a common master of, you know. And Mm -hmm. so I drank it and I remembered standing in the rice field and the rice water, like the, the paddy water, sort of had a kind of like three dimensional holographic, very subtle rainbow texture to it. And that Ah. sort of elevated up to, like, sort of neck feeling. So I was walking around in, like, two layers, one metaphysical layer of paddy water and one uh, real material uh, layer of paddy water. And I I was, you know, just imagining, like, you know, the the birds, like, sort of messengers coming to me, talking uh, to me and, you know, encouraging me, like that this is so great you know this is so good that you have found out you know that this is what you should do and it's we are so happy for you you know like the whole like right. uh, I there is some Kensho story, you know, like even the oak mm-hmm. tree bows his head to to your experience. And I was like, All right.
0: Great, well, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the yes. messenger
1: of the gods <laughs> is a crow, you know. So the crows could have <laughs> yeah. been visiting you. Yeah. I have an yeah, amulet yeah, yeah. with crows that spell out uh characters, you know. They um on the amulets nice. of, of some of the Kumano uh shrines, right? They have yeah. Snakes, snakes, and also crows, as that spell out uh, characters and and give you messages. Oh. So.
2: Okay, well, I guess I met. That must, some of that's them. the real uh, deal. I think. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, I was so like you know in such a state of joy, and so that's why I made that quote to him. You know, like I felt convinced. You know, I said to him, you know, that yeah, when communism arrives, everybody will be farmers like us. I said to him, you know. And then he just, like, yeah. he sort of moaned in agreement, but, like, in a really, like, deep way. Like, like yeah, mm. kid, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, like, <laughs> and uh, and then he was, like, you know, he sat me down. And he was, like, shared a cigarette with me for the first time. So I felt, like, you know, and then he was, like, yeah, I think, like, somehow, you know, your job here is done. But, you know, come back later, take a break, come back, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know. I haven't been back actually since I really want to go. I've met Shinji again ten years later, but I haven't met this guy again but i i as soon as I get things going here yeah. uh, I, I will visit him again with when I have some seeds to to give to him that I maybe the will season be will in. come
1: there's there's yeah. a lot to be said for seasonal movement and right that's yeah one of the most interesting yeah, cases of uh yeah political economy involves seasonal changes in roles and right
2: mhm-. Yeah, I really would like to meet mm. him again. You know, so I packed up my things over there and I said right, goodbye so to his lovely family. Yeah. Yeah, he had a, two nice children and, and a wife who was a, a a children book illustrator. And so they, you know, nice. I, I really felt, you know, yeah, what a good family, you know, like a uh, uh, great time over there. And the, and the kid was like, you know, nine and he could still play the piano really well. So I remember one time I was sitting in the, they had like an outside uh, you know, sauna, sauna uh, barrel mm. with hot water in yeah. that I would uh, uh, wash myself, you know, after working on the rice field yeah. and he would always play the piano when I went into the bathtub and he would play like different Studio Ghibli <laughs> songs and, uh, nice. and I, <laughs> it was yeah, so you know, like, like my own little butler <laughs> like <laughs> child butler, like play that nice. thing you do so well Suzuki <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> I well, I don't know what is it that she says in uh, Casablanca, right? Uh, play play the song again. Play it I again, Sam. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Play it again, Suzuki. <laughs> Sam <Sam-suki. Nice.
1: laughs> I don't know. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, uh,
1: so scary. and so uh, scared. <laughs> so
2: yeah, so he drove me to uh, a train station where the guy from back at Shinji's place, who I'd met there, he came and picked me up as promised, and mm. uh, was going to bring me back to you know uh, Shizuoka. And uh, yeah, I I think I have to go to the toilet now, but I can, if you want to listen to more of the story. Okay, then let's I, I take a break so. for a minute.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. Yeah. See you in a minute.
2: Let's do that. See you in a minute.
1: So, dear listeners, a little interjection from Fergal from the future. The day that I was recording this... I was fighting a runny nose, and for this runny nose, I was drinking a Chinese herbal medicine, which is called Youmeishu. Uh In the discussion that we have here, I didn't quite get around to explaining what much about it, and it didn't seem to matter. Marcus himself, it seems to have been drinking mugicha, which is uh, barley tea, right? But what I was drinking was uh, a distillation of different herbs into alcohol, which you drink just a little nip of uh maybe like three times a day 20 milliliters i think is the recommended dosage and you cannot get this anywhere you know there's english language explanations of it which is geared toward maybe the malaysian market or singaporean market maybe but uh you know that's all there is uh just very quickly what is in it is ginseng you know what that is um Raymania radix it, it bears this plant bears the name raymania after uh, someone named joseph rayman a physician in russia in the 18th century it seems who was the first to just give it a name in the west right so many of these things really aren't not very well known um Epimedii, Epimedii herba is uh, promising herbal medicine for neuroplasticity can see on PubMed. Just googling it real quick. You have pionii, which is peony. The root of a peony? Yeah, the root of a peony. Alcomia cortex. This is Elcomia, is a small genus of trees, native to China. Now native to China with a fossil record that shows a much wider distribution. A lot of these medicines have probably moved around quite a lot as people have traded them and passed them around. That kind of deep history of that is right up mine and Marcus's alley, isn't it? The, we also have Sistancus herba. Sistanca is very interesting. A, a genus of hollow parasitic desert plant, which lacks chlorophyll and, and obtains nutrients and water from the host plants whose roots they parasitize. They're often known as desert hyacinths. You know, the recent uh, discussion in Marcus's recent episode of leafcutter ants learning to farm fungi is something I think of in connection with that. Uh, We have cinnamon bark, we have clove. Uh, We know what that is. Um, Saposhnikov, Saposhnikov, what is this? That is Saposhnikovia. Is a genus of flowering plants. It is known as fangfeng in Chinese, bangpung Korean. Uh, Siler. It has an English name, apparently. And then we have my favorite, the mamushi. Uh, I think maybe the bones, mainly bones and muscles of it is what they're showing. Uh, The mamushi is a pit viper that's native to Japan, lives in the rivers. You meet them sometimes if you're Climbing, doing rock climbing or something. And, uh, yeah, they'll put you in... You might have to go to the doctor if you get bit. You might get sick for a couple days. Uh, And uh, down in the mountains where I lived, what you do is you catch them. You know, kids would be... uh, the, The old folks would say that when they were kids, they would be encouraged by their parents if they saw a mamushi to catch it and bring it home because what you do is you then fuck that into a bottle of shochu, which is a distilled spirit, and you just take the whole thing, while it's alive, put it in there and it will then die and be tinctured into the spirit and it uh, helps with vitality and uh, you know, people, it might be an aphrodisiac people say, As well. Uh, All of these things contain all kinds of phytochemicals that uh, help with metabolism, right? Things like this. Leonuri herba. This is a plant known as motherwort, and it's in the mint family, Uh, also known as throwwort, lion's ear, lion's tail. And um, originally, it's from Central Asia and Southeastern Europe, and it is now found worldwide, spread largely due to its use as a herbal remedy. Um, we have Curcumae rhizoma. Uh, this is the rhizome of—this oh, is turmeric, isn't it? Yeah, turmeric, very good for a lot of things. Linderi ramus, the branch of uh, lindera, uh also known as spice wood, spice bush, Benjamin Bush. And yeah, that's a great herbal medicine. And then we also have Kartami Flos, that's uh safflower. safflower. So all of those herbs are in there, and uh my runny nose and my hay fever was really helped right here by taking a nip of that. So if you do make it to Japan, that would be a thing I'd recommend. It's classified as a type 2 medicinal product, and so you can only get it at a chemist. You can only get it at a pharmacy and not a liquor store. But uh, if you can bring bring a bottle of that home, that's something really special that you can't get anywhere else. I don't know if they'll give you less trouble at customs if you say it's a medicine or if you say it's alcohol. You can try both, maybe. It comes in a red box, You'll recognize it in the pharmacy. And there's also another one uh, particularly good. Often at um, Coco Cara Fine you will find also Toto Shoe. That's another brand that has even more different... It has fucking everything. Tincture. Um, 40 ingredients or something. Uh, That's even fancier. That's like 3,000 yen for 750 milliliters only instead of a, a liter. And... Uh, But that, yeah, it's green. That comes in a green box, right? Tōtōshu is maybe even more special medicinally, of course, uh, but unfortunately, flavor-wise, they make it taste like cheap generic whiskey so that old grandpas from the high economic growth generation will drink it. I bet they make a highball with it or they make a whiskey sour with it. I don't know. So actually, that day, I drank... uh, uh, in a little, you know, thimbleful of both of those two mixed, Yomeshu and Totoshu. While I'm on the topic, there is an Okinawan one. Um, you can get, first of all, Okinawans have black vinegar that they put all kinds of herbs in as well. And the black vinegar has all kinds of antioxidants in it. So that's a good medicine to take. You can get that uh, anywhere in Japan at a pharmacy. Moromisu, it's called uh, Ryukyu Moromisu. And uh, also from Ryukyu, you can get uruma. Uruma is a distillation or it's a tincture of uh, an Okinawan viper called the habu into rum, which uh, Okinawa is a source of sugarcane since uh, the Satsuma takeover of Okinawa in 1609 or so, right? Uh, they got them producing sugarcane, and then trading that to China to get to do their deals there in the early modern period, right? And so, UQ early modern UQ functions as a kind of extraterritorial zone where Japan can use it as an appendage to trade with China, and it was important that they not really be part of Japan technically in some sense, and then also at the same time were. And then with the modernization, of course, they're outright colonized in a whole different sort of way. So rum is a, a and specialty, and they distill that. And it has this lovely flavor that I can't describe, uh, the viper tincture, known as uruma. And that actually is not at the chemist. That is at the liquor store. And a fancier one, maybe try Yamaya to be sure. Yamaya will have uruma. So... If you come, if you make it to Japan, those are some of the the rarest and most valuable things that I can imagine that you could bring back as a souvenir. Just saying. Hey. there he is. These days, I'm a fan of this uh, herbal medicine called Yomeshu.
2: Oh, nice! Today's it's a, a mugishu, or
1: Yo Meishu has, uh, all different things really, right? It's different plants, different animal parts. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. Maybe I get yeah. one of those. I have a nice, uh, local place here. Um, last time yeah, I got you some, buy it uh, at Mugi- the chemist. Mugi-chu. Ah, yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Right. There's
2: no alcohol in it or
1: it is alcoholic. Yeah. A little bit, No, yeah, uh, but it has like different Mugi- vipers, It has viper and uh, God knows what else. Right. All kinds of tinctures. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. As an age of exploration scholar, I feel uh, kind of romance about it.
2: Yeah. Like gin also is like very colonial drink, right? Like they have one ingredient Mm -hmm. from every sort of area of the British Empire. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it starts under, I mean, of course it starts under the Iberian empires, but then... Like everything else, the Brits kind of take it over. There right. was
2: an Iberian, an Iberian gin as well.
1: Yeah, actually, um, the word gin comes from Portuguese "ginjinha," mm-hmm. which uh, okay. the original maker still kind of makes a tincture, kind of medicinal herbal medicine. Right?
2: Cool.
1: Apparently, the those herbal medicines used to be way more powerful. I mean, you, you look at some of the recipes for all of these drugs in the arabic picaresque stories and uh mm-hmm. you know it, it just taught it just talks about basil but um it seems like strains of basil might have been really different then. you know would there have been yeah should some should kind be.
2: of like what's um the most potent yeah. one you know the uh um divine sage it's not a mm. basil but i can understand how they would mix it up or like how mm. that could be labeled a basil right like it's a mint family all of them right isn't it
1: Okay, um, yeah, I mean, there could be all kinds of green revolutions that happened on different levels with different things, you know, sort of monoculture, yeah. monoculture out a lot of the sort of sacred properties or powers mm-hmm. of, of all different yeah. plants.
2: Yeah, and clo- colonizing also a lot of like the botanical, ethnobotanical traditions of the colonized people, you know, where they, yeah, you know, deem everything devil worship, basically, like whatever plant you use even though they have yeah. many grades of it, like, you know, some will make you more violent and maybe are devilish and some are, mm-hmm. you know, more like St. Pedro, you know, like you'll become a saint or whatever.
1: That's a whole fascinating subject, right? Because like they, <laughs> yeah, they do, some, sometimes, some of them do decide that it's actually the devil that comes into you when you, you take these drugs or there's different ideas about I it. Have
2: a, I have a good story because I realized Micronology mm-hmm. is not the correct one. I—I um, oh. just f- finished this natto, and I have a nice.
1: Uh... Yeah, I, I thought you were having natto. That's fantastic. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it took me. Owner. Natto for listeners is a strongly uh, flavorful fermented soybean dish, which has a kind of texture that I suppose you should call it slimy, but it, you know, it's like okra basically, and yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just the best potato. thing on
1: top of uh, rice. Yeah, there's sticky potatoes too that if you grind them, they have that. So in Japanese cuisine, that's a whole texture that is quite common. Uh, mm-hmm. Fish guts as well, right? There's preserved, fish. all kinds of fish gut preserves that have this same texture. Yes. And there's one so seaweed, whole.
2: seaweed one as well, right? That's very gooey like that. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. What, I forget. What I do remember which one it is. Oh, well, uh, Yeah. I don't know the thing, the one that comes in the little plastic mm-hmm. pack, you know. Mm. So that's a yeah. whole, that's a note on the scale, or that's a whole sort of genre in Japanese, like culinary palette, is to have slimy textures.
2: Yeah, but I, I but i that nothing yeah, like, better I like with a bunch of rice
1: of and yeah,
2: yeah. Not it took tei me teiji. a year. It's really good.
1: Ah, with with what
2: the uh, take kg tamago. Okay, show you Tamago show ah, okay.
1: You yeah. <laughs> there you go. Egg with uh yeah. yeah. Right. Soy sauce. So yeah, with I the egg, a raw tomato. the raw egg as well. It would be another one that gives mm-hmm. you that. It took me like a year to get used to it, but it would always be in the official school lunch at schools that I yeah. where I was working, and it would be bad for a teacher to like not eat their food in front of the kids and so i would always i would imagine put up with it and and eat it uh and then i got used to it you know it's it's a different kind of bacilli different biome that your body's not used to and as a result you will smell it and think that it smells like garbage but um yeah after you you get used to it a switch flips and it's like oh this is delicious
2: i think like as a swede it's easier because you know, we're quite used to very smelly, disgusting fermented food and think of them as high cuisine. You know, like it's uh, like I guess the only thing that people know about Swedish cuisine is like you know, the fermented herring varieties we have, and we oh, eat them is for all holidays.
0: Okay,
2: uh, I can't remember what it's called in German, but yeah, uh, and there's also the südstreming, right? It's becoming famous now. Uh oh, But that was no only one time of the year that you eat it. That's the, supposed to be the most smelly food in the world. But the, uh-huh. the regular one, like the pickled herring or fermented herring, we eat mm. at least four, four times a year. We will eat it at Christmas and then Easter and then midsummer and then yeah. the autumn equinox uh, party, which is like the crayfish uh, party. And mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so I, I I mean, and that smells a lot more than natto. So I I felt already that you know not that big of a step to like natto. And so I, I also usually nice. make like my own natto. Yeah, and then I and I, then I sort of increase the funkiness of it, make it almost smell like ammonia. It's quite nice. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> Excellent right on the level. There. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think as an American,
1: uh, I probably am like a person without uh, any bacterial culture somehow living in a spacesuit. Uh, originally, yeah. and so
2: it's nice to see now how like popular sourdough is becoming. Like because I grew up with sourdough, yeah. and now I see like American YouTubers; they're all like you know all over the place, you know, so mm-hmm. convinced by the the by this, and that's nice to see. But there's one thing right. though. I know uh, I used to live on an island called Erland, which means island land. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, if you and um, with my grandmother, and there's a special kind of wheat. From, from that place, a really old wheat, and I'm getting it soon in April uh, with a bunch of other yeah. varieties, like I'm getting 12 really nice old, like summer, uh, you know, Mesopotamian stuff, like Ankhorn, yeah. Emery's Belt, All but right. also some uh, Stone Age and Bronze Age, uh, you know, Scandinavian varieties. And there is one called Erland uh, Svete, anyway. But in America mm-hmm. now they call it uh, Orleans wheat because they don't understand what the uh, <laughs> what the circle uh-huh. with the okay. two dots is. But yeah. uh, we—I was talking to my farmer friend uh, uh, day before yesterday, uh, who is also in the same seed bank community, uh, <clears throat> who is gonna send it to me, and he was saying, you know, like, ah, oh, but it's so annoying. Like the Brits and the Yankees, they they think it's all from Denmark, and I was like, why, why, why uh-huh. do they think that? Like the name, the place the location of the of the wheat is already in the name, you know, all our wheats are called after the place, like where they're from. And then he was like, yeah, but I think it was because about 10 years ago when the sourdough phenomenon sort of started in America, uh, they thought it was from Denmark because it was Denmark who had already had a sort of revival because unlike Mm -hmm. in Sweden, they stopped doing it. We kept doing it. But then, you know, Mm -hmm. when bacteria was supposed to be bad, Denmark stopped doing it because yeah, I guess they're more continental right And um, and so oh, okay uh, so when they had the revival it became you know a media phenomenon in Denmark and then it was picked up uh, by oh, the ah, Americans so they, and the Brits from over there and then yeah. they thought that everything has something to do with sourdough and this wheat is particularly good for sourdough bread they get so the they thought it thing. was from Denmark yeah yeah but a uh, lot of Irish media
1: is, okay. is on about that too <laughs> they do mm-hmm. I mean, it's they're casting in the direction of reviving whatever kind of granola, yogurt-based cuisine would have originally existed in Ireland. We just, just don't even know what yeah. it was. It's been eradicated.
2: Yeah, I know one really good Emmer and Einkorn seed bank in Ireland. I was talking to them hmm. uh, last autumn. Really nice people. And they Gosh. seem to have, you know... They are, like, you know, both in Sweden and in Ireland, they're on their way of... Uh, sort of uh, having pushed for these old varieties. So there are Mm -hmm. old varieties that are like, you know, from before there's a point, I think, 1830 or 1840 when there is Mm. a major monocrop domination of wheat. And so basically Mm. 90% of all our wheat are from three or four Russian varieties from after that date of the early 1800s. But if you go before that date, a whole world opens up of first old varieties, which will be, mm-hmm. you know, still, you know, early modern time. And, you know, there's still a sort of, you know, commodity production still exists, you know, nascent uh, proto-capitalism mm-hmm. still there. Uh, but then you can go even older and then you start to get like the culture varieties. And the culture varieties are like, uh, what you call her heirloom varieties, I guess, in, in English. Yeah. Right? And... Uh, mm-hmm. And so then, you know, some of them, you know, will be like the ones I'm getting, I'm like, sure. um, oh, yeah, okay. and also evolutionary varieties, which is somewhere in between there, but they ah, are not. Cool. The uh, the point there is like, let's say, they are all culture varieties, and of these culture varieties, some of them are labeled as evolutionary varieties because mm. their gene base is so broad that they can become very different kinds of uh, uh, mm. um, wheat um or they adopt very they adopt very broadly like for example einkorn oh. einkorn doesn't the original einkorn doesn't have an autumn and a and a spring version of the wheat it will adopt depending on when you saw it it will understand what time of the year it is and it will adopt it accordingly and even this is the fucked up thing right like i don't know if i said this to you but even then an einkorn variety that has gotten used to swedish you know mm. uh sunlight, like, which means, you know, 24 hours light in the summer and 24 hours darkness in the winter, they Mm. will within one season, they would develop and understand the pattern of Nagano, Tokyo instead, the light patterns of those places. Yeah. Because it's like just so broad, like the the base and an advanced organism. Yeah. And some of them are also called uh, diversity grains, which is really cool. They Mm -hmm. were hated by the early industrial uh, agriculturalists because they grow, like, for example, one I'm getting is called Dalansvete. And that's from a place called Dalarna, where, like, the original midsummer parties are. And a lot of these grains are called midsummer grains because they were sown during midsummer. They're quite late uh, Mm -hmm. uh, for being sown. Uh, Or early, if it's an autumn variety. Um, But... uh, this one, it will grow, you know, some will be one meter, some might be mm. as high as two meters. Some ah. will get, you know, the the feathers, the boshed, mm. uh, and some mm. will have no feathers and borscht. Some will appear white and some will be, be, be black, but they are all the mm. same uh, uh, wheat variety. So like, you know, even you take yeah. the grains of one of them that are black and have the feathers when you sow those seeds again you'll see the phenotypes of all the other ones as well. Some will be white, some will be tall, some will be uh, Mm. um, short. And so that's like a diversity. uh, uh, And and they are really, you know, now, so Ireland and Sweden, we are trying to get this back into the official economical agriculture structure because they are the only varieties that will be able to, I think, really adopt to climate change. Because they have, you know, within their gene, they have, you know, they've survived ice ages before uh, and they've survived, well, small ice ages at least. Maybe some of them will be older, you know, my thesis Mm. in the the early communism and ocean, you know, that probably some of them are before the ice age or like in the middle of the ice age, you know, and it's like, Mm or the the late glacial maximum there, before that or, you know, during that period. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, they must, you know, in their gene base, there must be such a diverse, you know, uh, spectrum of defense mechanisms towards climate change because they have been through it so many times you know and so of yeah, course yeah. we need no fucking genetically modified organism is gonna be able to pull that off you know because they don't know what they're looking for even you know like they're just taking no. like some one gene to to make sure that that's something that can be patented and you know they mm. I, I won't go into that but but uh
1: so we were hearing how you got you know how did you yeah. get the question remains how did you get this dharma that you are sharing here how did you get all this knowledge
2: and uh, so if I continue You've like seen the story a, a prophecy I mean, a...
1: there was a prophecy of, yeah. of the right <laughs> yeah. about yeah. everyone will be a farmer and you're yeah, moving I on guess so. and that's this, like from this place in uh, was that in Kamakura yeah. or
2: yeah right outside Kamakura maybe about 1 hour away from Kamakura and not so yet. Kanagawa, Kanagawa
1: prefecture.
2: Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, yeah. So I said that, that I met this guy then who was going to take me to Shizuoka, but that's not true actually before mm-hmm. that happened. I think he called the other guy and said, you know, that he couldn't come at that time, but that didn't really matter because some students from Tokyo who lived in a collective called Amaterasu mm-hmm. had come to the farm to help, uh, uh, do some of this uh, um, spring uh, rice p- uh, paddy planting to, because oh, they, nice. you know we had quite a lot of rice fields, so me and him alone couldn't do it, and you know his mm. kids were still too young, mm. and um, and so they came and they offered me a place in the collective house over there, and then we went. Mm. I went there, and I sort of had a like a flirt with a the girl there eventually, and mm. just. Uh, because we were talking about tinctures she was really into tinctures and she was Hmm. like you know kind of studying to become a witch or a shamaness i think Uh, but she had she wasn't as like wishy-washy as the other people there because she was like really Hmm. quite dedicated to it so it would maybe even be more appropriate to call her like an ethnobotanist or something
0: Uh and so
2: she took me to the uh, botanical garden of tokyo And Mm -hmm. uh, we went around there and we were biking there together. It was really like, you know, early late mid spring, then early spring. And it was still warm, you know, and and I remember her like long skirt, like flying in the wind, and I was biking behind her and like, you know, it was uh, good times. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, she took me there and she told me like the history about like how that botanical garden came to be. And uh, there were like two big gates. And uh, we had talked about getting some datura, some angel trumpet, which is mm. you shouldn't do that. Like if any kids listening, don't. Mm. No, like that's don't that's the one plant that you shouldn't touch. But like you mm. know, her being a witch, yeah, you got respect it's very, it. Yeah, it, it appears a lot in the you know in the literature of many different shamanist uh, you know traditions, and uh, and I remember going in through the gates to the botanical garden, somebody was, I met, you know, it was like one of those, and it's like mm. huge, like four mm-hmm. meter across, and you have to like sort of pull it open, but it's like, you know, a fence gate, like it's not a solid wall, wall, door, you know. So I saw yeah. that somebody was coming, but still some, but somehow we sort of ended up meeting each other right at the entrance of the gates. And I looked at his face, and his face was like torn apart. It was like as if he oh. you know, can't be, but it was as if he knew what we were about to do. The and there was something, you know, yeah, there, there was really like, okay, uh, mm. setting the vibe, you know, of what that experience was going to be like. And anyway, mm. we did get some some uh, plant material from from that tour that we found over there. And then we went back to the collective, uh, the, the guest, the share house, and we prepared some and as we drank it a friend of hers came in and again this guy had been in a in a car accident so his voice no a motorcycle accident so his voice was a bit you know fucked up and it was like also like once again it felt like a reminder that like uh. isn't the life you have right now already good enough like why do you want to risk everything uh. with by taking you know a drug like this you know like this can really change you know like too many things you know like mm. imagine something like this happens to you you know and he had like you know a little bit of a deformity mm. in his face, so it was like a stark reminder of the fragility, you know, of our you know bodies and being an organism. Like, uh, so you know, brings you down a, a plane from talking to mm. you know somebody who's aspiring to be a shamaness, I guess. Um, although she was very grounded, and, and and she, she wanted to talk to him for a bit, and I went. she was supposed to just go to the kitchen, and somehow yeah. I ended up outside and then night was falling already and i just started wandering away from the guest house somewhere in the suburbs of tokyo and i'm getting more and more like tripped out on this uh uh datura and i start to see like kind of like a white crow but that's a sort of like a person uh almost i guess you would imagine an angel but that's not good in japan white is the
1: color of death so yeah
2: yeah and uh, and so and and I refuse I I I am reluctant to even use the word angel now because that's not how I th- thought it looked like mm. then you know but like some human shaped white crow-ish thing hovering over the street lights and you know how they have blue mm. in them right here like oh, it's not okay. green yellow they probably right? replaced like the them a
1: green... lot by now but yeah there's yeah, a lot of led yeah. ones now i think oh, what would they've yeah, been then and,
2: I can't I remember like a they all turned blue, the lights. I maybe this didn't yeah. happen. Once again it was an imagination of Just something vision. other than my own will, like something yeah. inside me that was like a phantasmagoria of which I was not in control over. And uh, this
1: I wonder uh, what the shamanists' reasoning being, for, for doing that was. Yeah, and she, yeah. she let me go
2: out into the street, and yeah. and 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 I, I wow. and those they and this one jumped from one yeah. one stoplight to the next, and I keep following uh, this uh, entity, and I came up to a, a huge hole in the ground where they're doing some road construction, and there's like oh, a okay. fence around it,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and there's like a huge fence with shining orange lights, and this orange light is so fucking intense that like my whole world becomes absorbed. In this blinking orange light, and all of a sudden, I just—I shit myself, like pure diarrhea, just flowing through down along my legs and out from the bottom of my trousers, and it's all gone in an instant. I'm back to like being completely sober, and I'm standing there looking down into this hole, which is like I don't know (laughs) how—I don't know how deep this hole is, but if I fell down into it, I wouldn't come up again, and and. And then I was like okay so now I have to find myself back to the guest house looking over the to tops of buildings st- <laughs>
1: looking down into holes yeah. this
2: is a yeah. the theme <laughs> Yeah yes yeah. and uh and I didn't you know and I just you know I didn't want to tell her that I'm covered in diarrhea so I just when oh, I finally well, find probably my way was back
1: too who knows
2: Maybe yeah it could be but uh I just go and I clean myself and I do the hand washing in the shower at the best yeah. I can of the clothes. And then I put them in the wash machine and I get dressed and and I go to sleep. And the next day she was like, oh, wow, where where did you go? Like, we, I, we yeah. lost you yesterday. And there was another guy there, too. And he had heard that we were going to do this. And he was like a real acid head and he was like i Mm -hmm. was really worried like what was going to happen to you and then i was like i told them the story like that i shit myself (laughs) and they were like what the fuck and the guy the acid head he was just like he didn't speak any english but Mm -hmm. he knew the term far
1: out and so
2: he was like that's far (laughs) out (laughs) yeah and i was like yeah yeah
1: Well, I think that happens uh, a lot. Like ayahuasca involves a lot of purging, doesn't it? Yeah,
2: um, you're supposed to throw up. It, that would never happen to me. I, that's I'm... way later in the story. I guess that would be have, have have to be another episode when I go to Shama, uh, to Taiwan and I live with a shamaness in the rainforest over there. Uh, yeah, but uh, but that that can be another next episode. Uh
1: meanwhile the viper and the ginseng and uh and whatever else is in this uh has mm-hmm. has really cleared up my uh hay fever quite a bit. I was afraid. That's nice. <laughs> I think a lot of this this uh recording's going to have my nose whistling in the in the microphone over here. <laughs> so okay, well I have like you know just yeah. <laughs> I have a little more time, but um yeah. if you think this would be a good place to cut it, we can do that.
2: Uh there is know, there
1: an even better stopping point in a minute? Maybe Uh
2: no, I think that's a pretty good like stopping point. There is some stories left in Japan, but they have uh-huh. to, you know, I'm I'm getting them back and then I go to Korea and then uh-huh. I go back to Japan and there's a lot happening, right. so so it's an intriguing story. <laughs> and there's All a lot right. to, to come, I guess.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, a host yeah. questions a host part one. Uh yeah. th-
0: this can be this could be it. Yeah ha a na mo ya ha さかずきのてまずさえ ta wa 雲の犯の後にしんぷにはしいつ yoji 行方も知らずぞ